Hello there, boob-obsessed perv. <laughs> this is Inyash. Hey, Inyash, this is Steven. Steven, I'm, I don't think you need to explain your name to me because I have met you and I already know what a boob-obsessed perv you are. Wow, that is... Uh, I, I figured it would be a surprise to everybody. I, I, I was certainly surprised. <laughs> you were surprised about your boob obsession? Well, so here's the thing. Uh, Cyrus M. on Discord scanned through the text for us up to this point and found uh, 36 instance, thirty-six mentions of his chest, uh, 10 folding arms, 42 mentions of her chest, and 22 of those were folding arms. So while it was 2 to 1 on the folding arms in front of the chest, I am still proven wrong. It was, there, was a, there was 10 times where it mentioned a man folding, folding his arms across his chest. Yeah, and I think there's more than two times as many female characters than male characters, so proportionally, men are folding their arms over their chest much more often. Yeah, yep. So what can I say? I, I Literally zero of those jumped out at me, and apparently enough of the uh, the female ones did. So I, I guess <laughs> I, love- I have a, a bias that I didn't that I was unaware of. Who would yeah. thunk it? I, you know, it's a good thing you have that bias because otherwise your parents may not have procreated or your ancestors somewhere <laughs> along the line. I'm happy to uh, have been, I'm the, I'm the end of a long line of successful boob obsessed perverts. <laughs> yes, exactly. Fortunately, your bloodline curse ends with you. Right. <laughs> All righty. Um, the, the, I got another thing from the audience. As long as we're jumping right into it, shall I jump on that one? I feel like we should jump in on what we're doing here first. Uh, this oh, is, yeah. yeah. What the heck is this all about? Why are we talking about random things? I was trying to think of a nice segue between bloodlines and boobs, but nothing jumped out at me. So this is not everything is Boob a clue. Lines. Boob lines. Thank you. There, that was a great pun. It's on the no, record. No, it wasn't. Wordplay. I, was, I, I was talking about the lines <laughs> of the boobs. So Damn it. this is not everything is a clue. The podcast where Inyash and I discuss Alexander Wales' web serial Worth the Candle. And also boobs. Once in a while, yeah. Yes. They come up more often than you think. They, woo. Um, The podcast can be supported at our Patreon, which you can get links to in the show notes. uh, And we greatly appreciate that. You can also support Alexander Wales at his Patreon uh, if you would like to do that, because he wrote all this stuff. Yes, what, what you said. Excellent. Um, yeah, so that's that's what we're doing here, um, in case anyone was not familiar. Uh, I guess sometimes people could just stumble across things randomly in the middle of things. I mean, this episode has boobs in the title, so <laughs> someone just searching for boobs might just come stumble across this and then be sorely disappointed. Well, now you're going to have to think of a way to put boobs in the title. Hmm. Okay. In, in, I, I think it is. You know, it, I feel like it's just perfunctory that you say what, what the show is. It seems hard to find by accident, and if you do, you just look at the name of the thing you're listening to. But you know, here we are. So yeah, we always do this. I don't make them. That's right. That's why it's the same thing as how we introduce ourselves every episode. It's just common courtesy. Yeah, yeah. and we even use our real names sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Okay, so the uh, thing that I got from the audience was actually a private message on Reddit because the person didn't know how to contact me, and I sent links to the Discord and whatever, but I went ahead and uh, replied as well. Anyways, the private message on the subreddit said, uh, or just on Reddit rather, because we don't have a dedicated subreddit to this, uh, said, I noticed that you were very adamant about the likely difference of moral actions in an erased timeline, like whether the bad thing one does that gets completely deleted from the universe, including retroactively, matters or not. I don't quite get why such a reality would be qualitatively different from the situation we already live in. You know, the one where the sun will swallow the earth, our galaxy will crash into another, everything we ever touch will fall down, a black hole or drift in the freezing abyss, etc. That might not be the same as being erased from the timeline uh, and becoming something that never happened, but who even decides what did or didn't happen? 
Um, and my reply to this was that I think like everything ending eventually is also a really shitty thing. And I get depressed by that too, but that is not what, uh, what this situation is. The time rewinding thing. I think it's drastically different because like we are experiencing things right now. And that is proof that we won't be rewound. Uh, and if something like happens in quotes, but then it's reversed or around. So it never happened. That means that it never happened and nothing would have ever uh, experienced it. It would have never existed to have been experienced, uh, which is, you know, what it means for it to not have happened. So uh, that is why I'm not sure if those things matter since they didn't happen. Like as an example at hand here, there's no actual person named Juniper per Smith that was sucked into the, uh, into Arab in actual reality. That's like not a thing that happened. So anything that he's described as having done doesn't doesn't have really much moral weight uh, besides what we choose to interpret as part of a story because like it didn't actually happen to anyone. And that would be the same thing if, you know, time was rewound, then it wouldn't have happened to anyone. So it's it's hard for me to say that it is it is as morally important as things that do happen, you know? Yeah, I think um, there's a couple of I'm trying to trying to find a succinct way to articulate my thoughts on this. Um, so on the one hand, like, yeah, I remember I was talking to somebody about like the ethics of house elves a few years ago. Hmm. And at some point they finally were just like, well, look, you know, it's not even, they said something that bordered on like, you know, it's, it didn't happen or something, or it's not real. And I was like, well, of course none none of it happened. It's a story. Yeah. Like we're, so I'm not talking about like an actual house elf that was, you know, created for bad reasons. I'm talking about the ethics of, of this imaginary situation. Um, you know, I, you know, is, is the, uh, whatever is Val's upbringing morally wrong? Well, like not in the sense that it, you know, happened and there were negative utils from it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the sake of argument, totally. Uh, so the, the other thing was that, uh, you had said because we're experiencing this, that there, that itself is proof that this, that it won't be rewound. Yes. Um, I, I wonder how you could be sure of that. Like, I don't think we're being rewound, but you know, like if I was Groundhog Daying and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was tying you up to a train track and I'm like, don't worry, you'll be rewound. And you're like, no, please, it hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, that would still be a bad thing. And th- you would still be experiencing it at the time. And it was still it would still also eventually be rewound. Right. Mm, no, like the the only sense in which it can be said to have happened is that you have memories of it. But if it's literally rewound and erased from time, then it never happened to me. Well, I mean, you'll have memories of it, you know, let's say I torture you in the morning and then you've got 10 hours of, of thinking about it to do, you know, like, except that it doesn't actually happen if time is reversed, because that's what it means for things to happen in time. Like if the time gets reversed, it, it didn't happen at all. Uh, I mean, like, I, I, I like... think the fact that we can that we, this is happening and we're remembering it is, in fact, proof that it won't be rewound, because if it were to be rewound, then we would not be experiencing it right now. It just wouldn't exist. I feel like you've made a different case before, you know, like if, um, I mean, you know, back in the story, like if, uh, whatever, you know, every time the revision mage rewound Amon being killed, he was still killed every time and he had to rewind something. And so, you know, he rewound the thing that he didn't want to happen. Um, and even in that case, the memories were, were lost. So like I don't I don't know if revision magic is quite the same thing because it like it revised it revised the, like that person in the local pocket but like the rest of time still existed around it I think it's it's weird to think about in in time in terms of like real 
time in real physics where it wouldn't happen as opposed to a story where we can see the stuff that didn't actually happen, I, I guess. Yeah. No, I, t- I, I feel you. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. I, I mean, that, that's that's basically everything I'm saying. Like, it's 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 weird because in a story, it looks like it still happened since we as the reader experienced it and whoever, like, is Groundhog Daying remembers that. But, but in a practical sense, it couldn't have happened. So, I don't know. I feel like if, if our universe were running on a simulation or is a simulation being run on a computer, our universe mm. exists for as long as the simulation is running or whatever, you know, version of time it's, it's simulating. But like, mm-hmm. if you run a computer program on your computer, uh, it, it will run for the duration that it takes to run. Right. Yeah. And you can, you can run it as many times as you want and it'll keep doing the same thing or you can give it different starting conditions or whatever, but it, you know, once it's finished, it's not like it never happened. Um, right. It's so I, I, I feel like our, our circumstance could also be analogous. I think we started off too philo- so philosophy heavy for me to be able to be in good form about this. <laughs> well, because I don't think the computer ever travels backwards in time. No, you're right. I mean, so time travel aside, uh, you're right. I guess not aside, because that's kind of the point here. I mean, it's well, not exactly. Time travel wasn't a factor really in the doomed timeline, right? I mean, I guess other than the fact that he's reading books from an alternate future, but like no one went back to the beginning of that timeline or something, right? Right. Um, it was, it was essentially that- just reading, you know, the logs, the, the output logs of a program that was simulating an alternate universe. Yeah, I guess in that particular case, I suppose doing horrible things would be wrong because that simulation was still run somewhere. It's not like it was erased from time afterwards. If the simulation was just stopped, it still did get run and things did feel did feel that terrible, whatever badness happened to them. Well, I agree. I think that's a good point to um, to push off from that from. But that's that's a I'm glad someone reached out to ask about that. Um, yeah, it's it's a good primer for that eventual meaning of life conversation we're going to have. And it actually, yeah, it helped It helped me, like our little discussion I had right here helped me clarify the difference between a simulation that is erased afterwards and actual time being rewound because the simulation is different in that way. And uh, that, that actually makes a heck of a difference. I think so too. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure what it would mean to go backward in time. Um, you know, movies disagree on how it works and they're the only thing I have to go from, right? So yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah. All right. Let's... Uh, I'm trying to think of a, eh, there's nothing. All right. No, no good segue. Um, someone on discord. Oh, I meant to pull it up. I'm sorry to, Oh wait, no, I've got it. I will find it right now. It was night spacer. Um, backed me up by pulling up some quotes that the DM, uh, can, that, that June believes the DM can read his mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, June. I don't know if I agree with June, but it, yeah, definitely June says that a couple times, which I had not remembered last time, but is true. And he didn't pull out, or excuse me, um, Nightspacer didn't pull out the, uh, I'm trying to, I'm just skimming the quotes here again. Yeah, there wasn't anything here where he says, uh, I'm looking for the part where the DM says, like, you won't have any privacy. Um, I could have sworn he articulated, like, the things he meant, and it might have even included his thoughts. But if it was right there in the text, I think Nightspacer would have found it. So mm-hmm. um, I guess I would imagine that, I get. hold on, let's. Let's skim our memories really quick. Has a quest ever kicked off based on something that he thought? Not that jumps to mind, but mm. that would be an example. Um, Possible. Yeah. I know our, our listeners are 
better at having memories than I am because my brain is old and drug addled. So they will probably remember better than I do. My brain's just old. Aw. Age do drugs too. Don't lie to me. I mean it's it's back it's been years, I think, actually. Okay. Wow, look at it's, this. I never got I never kept up on this clues thing. I think I wrote down four clues. Um yeah, that spreadsheet never, never went anywhere. Do you not count alcohol or just not drink alcohol? I guess I drink once in a while, but I'm not currently addled. Um, oh well, I mean I'm not currently addled either, but sure. my brain has been hit with substances that that have uh, made it less effective in the past, and who knows what the long term effects of those are. Actually, we we know long term effects of of alcohol pretty bad. No, yeah. no one should drink it, and yet we do anyway. What can, what can you say? Um, yeah. All right, I can't find a quest that kicked off from his thoughts either. But I mean, maybe bonitis. It occurred to him when he was thinking about it, right? I don't know. Well, the point uh, is, uh, we'll see. The, we'll learn one way or another whether DM can read his mind. I think he can. In fact, I'll put okay. that down as a prediction because I haven't written on this document in probably three months. So The thing you mentioned in the last episode where um, Solace called Greg them, like, I I didn't even notice it as I was reading it. And when you pointed it out to me, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. And, like, it's it kind of wrong-footed me. I couldn't figure out why. I'm like, this should be fine. What is what is Why is this sticking out to me? I think the reason it's sticking out to me is because, like, Nowhere else in Arab have there been any species that went by them and Grack never mentioned it or anything. And it seemed, I don't know, it almost seemed presumptive of, of Solace to just label him with pronouns like that. But on the other hand, like Grack doesn't seem to give a fuck. He didn't mind. So why should it bother me at all? I guess it just, it, it seemed to have come out of nowhere to me. You make a good point. Um, and I think it was Raven who probably is definitely old enough to know a bit of Groglier mm. and would then know that it's like, Da and not them. So oh, it was Raven, not Solus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean Solus has been hanging out long enough to know what Grek goes by. No, yeah. it is interesting. You know, maybe it was. A, it, I think it was just the one time. We'll see next time Raven talks to or about Grek. Yeah. Um, and see if she makes a habit of this. Maybe it was a one-time thing, and uh, maybe it was even like a a typo. Maybe originally, like three people went down there. Grack and someone else in Solace, and totally. then he revised it and forgot to change the the pronoun because that's happened to me before when I've revised things. That's what I was thinking too. Is that 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 was definitely a possibility, but I couldn't think of an explanation. But as a writer, you quickly thought of one. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Yeah, I, I like that, and I think it's a good point. If 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 Raven's going to properly gender him, it should be with Groglier. It shouldn't be with, uh, I don't know, Earth isms. Yeah, I don't even know if, if singular they is English or not. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that I think that we can uh, find a way to skewer that into the next chapter. <laughs> because Ooh. the next chapter's title is skewered. Yeah, that was it. Was you tried, man? That, that was A for effort. Yeah, and D for execution. <laughs> right, and that averages out to a B minus. So that ain't bad. Yeah, not bad. Amaryllis completely uh, called that he might run into copies of his earth friends here on Arab. And uh, she mentions that it was more likely she thought to be, uh, she thought it was more likely that they'd be his mom and dad than his friends. Uh, but, but she had like predicted it. And he, Juno's like, shit, my parents are probably here too. And I pulled this out because um, like poor June, he can't even get portaled into a fantasy world. Right. Like, he gets portaled into the fantasy world, he does all these awesome things, and then it turns out his entire real-life family and bullshit is here as well for him to still have to deal with anyway. 
And it just felt like a very sad trombone moment for him. Yeah, things are paralleled at a level that in any realistic circumstance would completely break credulity. But mm-hmm. given that June circumstances aren't real aren't whatsoever realistic, um it's it's interesting. So Amaryllis says something like, um, oh yeah, no, this was the most likely scenario for that quest. And it wasn't clear to me um that there, that I don't know, that there should be copies of people that he knew. That's certainly not a thing that occurred to me. Yeah, so in any case, um And Amaryllis was like, Oh no, it wasn't a prediction. It was just the number of things that I wrote down and this was at the top. Right, that counts. You get a gold <laughs> that's, star. That's what a prediction is, Amaryllis. Come yeah, on. Nerd. <laughs> um so yeah, she saw it coming. What a badass. And she's apparently got lists like this for all of his quests, which mm-hmm. I mean, I think per our conversation last week, she can't share with him. Right. Right. Hey, look at this. My best, my most likely guess. And the DM hastily rescribbles how that quest is going to go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the really big thing about this is that it, to parallel June's time on Earth, he had to be playing a lot of role-playing games with all his friends. Uh, but there is no D&D or, or other such role-playing games on Erb. So all the rules were, were uh, made up and written down by June himself, which uh, means that they probably wrote down RPG rules that are the literal rules that they are all playing under right now in the Erb simulation. and. You know, June's like, okay, whatever. That that sounds right to me. And Arab says that this would be the literally strangest thing to have ever happened. And well, Amaryllis says. Amaryllis says that, yeah. And I can see it being weird from her perspective, because that means that just a random schmo kid inside the world happened to make up a rule set that perfectly corresponds to the basic rules of the simulation without having any clue at all that he was doing that, right? But at, by this point, I think. Amy should have fully internalized that this is this whole world is bespoke made for and about June specifically. And so having this inserted into it is not a big deal at all. Like I would have expected that to be the case if there was a, a parallel June who did play RPGs here. Of course, the rules that he would make up are the actual literal rules that they're playing under. Right. I, you know, I guess it's not clear to me, given how insane her world is, like what actually counts as the weirdest thing. Um, Mm -hmm. This still strikes me as way up there. Like somebody who didn't know what he was doing. You know, Mm -hmm. this this nobody from Fumblebuck, middle of nowhere, invents (laughs) the actual rules of the universe, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, while they're 11 years old. Like that, that is the strangest thing in the, you know, that's literally ever happened. Um, but we know that's that's not what happened. What happened is the first the DM made the rules, and then as he was creating the world, he made the uh, the fake June in Fumblebuck make a RPG that had those same rules. Like the causality is going the other way. Yeah, no, totally. I think that they're still bad at reasoning uh, backwards causality. But hmm. I don't know. I, from the beginning of it, you know, June says, "Well, it's just a theory, not even you know, just what came to mind." If they're playing Arab equivalents, then you know, what do they play? Um, you know, you'd have to, I, I, so she's, there's like this long line of thought, you know, well, if you translate my thoughts to those people and whatever, if this, then that, and Amarillo's like, oh, we might finally get a manual. Oh, and yeah. I thought the, that line of thinking had way too many ifs in it. I had like no hope that the DM was going to just, you know, hand deliver them a manual for the, for the <laughs> game. Um, you know, and sure. He's probably gonna have to whatever, kill his father for it or something. Right. But mm-hmm. um, it's like, I, I didn't see that coming at all. 
Um, and granted, we haven't seen it yet, but yeah. I, well, we've seen an indication that the fact is like Raymer writes down or he tells him like, no, there's 10 stats and he lists them. And I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. He starts writing down what he can remember. Right. So it's, you know, much of this is verifiable. We might not get the manual, but apparently this random child or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. From one point of view, this random child invented or independently discovered the rules of the universe on accident. (laughs) Um, It's fucking great. I see. I don't. I don't think that, like you said, I don't think the DMs are just going to give them the manual. If they get a manual, it's going to be some fucking epic quest or something. But uh, like as soon as they mentioned that they were playing an RPG and Fake June made the rules, like I immediately went to, oh my god! I bet he made the rules of Arab. And once that was confirmed, I was like. And he's obviously written them down somewhere, so there's got to be a manual somewhere. And I was totally looking forward to, to, to getting a, a manual. I, you were more optimistic than I was. I guess I didn't see a reason why he had to invent the rules of this place. I mean, in a way, Earth June already did. And so this kid, I, I was thinking, like, great, you know, he's going to be in his, you know, make up his own other reality, right? But no, he made up this but one. Earth, yeah, well, but Earth June, June didn't make up Arab's rules. If he did, then he would know them. He just modified D and D in other systems. Yeah, I mean, he he made up an, enough of Arab. I think that you're right. He didn't make up these the specific character sheet style, yeah. but it's based on D and D stuff, right? I think just just from a literary perspective, like as soon as you realize that there's a June on this world that made up his own RPG rules, you you've got to have him making up the rules of this world. It's just too perfect to be any other way. Uh, see, there's the thing. I, uh, I'm not literarily inclined as much as I'd like to be yet. So <laughs> okay. I was highly skeptical. Okay. Cool. But my, my thinking was like, you know, the DM is not going to just hand him a manual unless he does. Maybe he thinks it'd be fun to see what June can do once he actually knows the rules. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe he's like, okay, I don't want to wait 40 years for you to get awesome. Let's watch you cheat your way to the top real quick. Right. Uh, then again, he could just give him like 10 free levels if he wanted to do that. So. Yeah, that's true. But it wouldn't be as fun as seeing him try to munchkin with the rules that he's got. He's definitely going to have to kill his dad and bed his mom or something, you know? <laughs> and then poke out his eyes. Right. That would be great. I mean, so, I don't know. Oh, it's in the next chapter. They come back. But apparently his mom disappeared when he went to prison. So she's off, you know, packing gunpowder into a checkoff gun. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Right. That is cool. I, I yeah, I just also had an additional note in this that like I would love to meet the real life June in our world that this world was made for because that would just be a trip. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that because we learned later that this group of ragtag high schoolers also had an Arthur. Um mm-hmm. you know, unless there's some teleportation involved, and I guess it's been months, but it's not impossible. Um some revision mage could bring that kid back, right? Hopefully oh, unless yeah, I mean, the whole thing of revision magic was to get revised a whole year, right? Oh, that's true. But, but I think there's something about soul stuff that might get in the way. Yeah, I think if it's like been more than 30 minutes or whatever. Yeah, it seems like you probably couldn't rewind someone's soul back into their body, yeah. which is which is a stupid limitation. I mean, I, well, it makes sense because it's soul magic, but like mm. it's it's unfortunate because, you know, then you could, you know, one of your companions gets killed. You're like, okay, well, we'll you know, hire out a revision mage next time we're in town and come back to this spot and whatever. Right. Right. But no, no big deal. It would also mean that you could never, ever escape your enemies. Uh, you know, like in the next, whatever, in one of his lectures that talks about how people committed mm. suicide to avoid being soul raped by the Nazi regime. 
Mm-hmm. And if they could just rewind time and put you back and then do it anyway, that would suck. Yeah, it would. Yeah. So if we had to guess who real life was made for, what would your guess be? Uh, you mean um, our real life? Yeah. Um, probably me. Oh, really? I mean, if I had to guess, okay. I'm, I'm experiencing it from this perspective. Uh, That's true. I would ordinarily never think of it that way. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't think it was made for any of us, but if it was made for somebody, probably me. Um, okay. And probably you too. Um, I mean, I only from guess, your perspective. I would have guessed maybe like someone like Musk, because he seems to be living an incredibly interesting life and leveling up super fast and <laughs> might get humanity <laughs> onto Mars. <laughs> like that, that would be my first guess. I mean, he, he put skill points into his hairline, you know, like <laughs> right? his hairline is three inches further than it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, I, mean, I see what you're saying. I, I guess I was from my perspective of when I was thinking the question, I was, I was thinking like, um, kind of like Andy Weir's the egg. Yeah. Yeah. And stuff like, no, probably. Yeah. For all of us. Right. Mm-hmm. And right now me, but okay. Yeah. We're, we're too, right. we're too ph- philosophy heavy for, for tonight, man. I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm kind of on a philosophy kick tonight. No, wait, wait till it, we get to the good shit. Yeah, it, it's great. It, it just, it got dark two hours ago. My brain's not in gear. <laughs> oh. we'll, we'll power through. Bethel talking about her, her new presence within the city uh, says that it's all my domain and I'm graciously allowing the houses and shops around us to continue existing. Uh, I, my notes that I can't wait to see Stephen's comments on this line. And I was not disappointed. My initial comment was very Voldemort. Sometimes the nicest thing he did for people was not kill them that day. (laughs) You did not disappoint me. That was exactly (laughs) what I was expecting because yeah, she's fucking, fucking Bethel, man. But my thing was like she's she's sort of wrong, but she's not wrong wrong. She's she's like I don't know uh, the mafia boss in a town or or the police or something. Like they could at any moment break into our house and kill us and burn it down, and they don't, and that's great and all. But I don't give them moral props for that, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, at any point, you know, your roommate could come up to you and hit you with a hammer, right? Yeah. Um, he doesn't get a morality credit for every minute that he doesn't do that. Right. Like, I mean, she's, she's technically right. She is the biggest, baddest ass here and could kill everyone and probably suffer no consequences. But, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't get points for that. No credit for me either. Yeah. Uh, she, she also gets no credit and she doesn't even get the, the benefit of the doubt. She, when she's learning that there are, you know, his earth counterparts are running around air. She says, is she out there too? Tiff? And he's like, yeah, probably. And Bethel says, hmm, I suppose I'd like a chat with her when she's available. What the fuck? And I'm just, yeah, hard no. There, what in the hell do you think entitles you to that? And what do you want to talk with her about? Seriously. Like, just gonna, you're going to torture her with misplaced blame slash revenge for what Uther did. And, you know, whatever he, you know, whatever he did to you slash threatened you with. Why? I don't um, understand. Why would she? Like, Tiff had nothing to do with anything. She's some random girl. Bethel tortures a lot of people who didn't do anything. Well, okay. She probably did. And, you know, Tiff is the person that she made herself look like that then caused Uther to threaten her her precious floorboards up. Like, you know, it. that's, she's, she's killed people for less. <laughs> I don't know. She has like, she's, she's killed people for like walking into her, but that's not the same as like being 
something that someone else was obsessed with. I feel like it's just later in this chapter. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, well, it's not exactly conclusive proof that I'm right that she would absolutely murder the shit out of Tiff, but she does simulate simulate murder all of his all of his friends. Yeah, but that's um, the fuck with June, I think. Yeah, but I feel like she'd probably kill his real friends. To, well, maybe not, actually. She actually explicitly says no, hmm. that she she wouldn't if she's, you know, happens to remember what Ropey tastes like for one second, she won't kill all of June's friends just to annoy him. So I almost wish Ropey was around so that, like, he would literally be there to talk to her and be like, hey, no, Bethel, stop. Because I think him saying you're going too far would be more effective than her being like, what would Ropey do? As I don't think she's thinking that very often. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea of her eating him was that she wouldn't even have to think that thought. It would just be part of her thinking. And it doesn't seem to have worked very well. Yeah, I'm rather severely disappointed that he got eaten by this monster and no good came out of it. Maybe he's happy. I think he's just dead. Yeah, me too. So that sucks. That does suck. Bethel is a broke Uh, murderer. Yeah, lame. There's another mysterious death. There Uh, is, yeah, in the uh, in the during the meditation uh, session while they're trying to become uh, vibration mages, someone died, and. so june is saying like hmm this is obviously like the beginning of the quest and then amaryllis of all people says that there's a trap in trying to see the narrative in everything because there are red herrings and even beyond red herrings there are some things that are just scenery not everything is a clue and i mean i think she's absolutely right there's a lot of things you want to put in any sort of both role-playing game and just novel that's just cool scenery to make the world more real but like this is really weird coming from Amy because she's usually the one who's all about like, oh my God, this is narrative. This is the DM. We got to take this into account. And now all of a sudden she's like, oh, it's probably just a, a scenery or red herring. Seems out of character. Makes me suspicious. So because I know that everything is a clue <laughs> and I know the Emeraldus knows this, I think that she's just goading the DM um, by, by saying, oh, that, that mysterious quest sounding thing. That's probably nothing. Mm. Um, she, she's thereby ensuring that it is something. And now it's a quest. Okay. And I, I mean, it's possible that she just wants him to keep his eye on the ball for once in his life. Mm. You know, well in his defense, you know, he's not exactly distractible. Things just keep happening to him, mm-hmm. but um, it, it's possible that she just wants him to focus. But no, I think that she was, she knows that what she's saying is complete nonsense. <laughs> yeah. And, so if there's one thing we can be 100% sure of is that this death is significant. Absolutely. It might have been background scenery until Amarillo said that, but now it's not. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're talking about the demon-blooded festival and how there probably aren't enough demon-blooded uh, to make sure there's one capital offense-worthy criminal every year to execute publicly. And uh, June says, I'm pretty sure that the demographics don't work out or the demon graphics, if you prefer. <laughs> and Bethel says, I do not prefer. And I immediately had to take back everything bad I'd ever said about Bethel. She is the best companion. It was funny. I commented right after that. And I said, I was just about to say, I do prefer <laughs> further proof that Bethel and I will never see eye to eye. Uh-oh. And my, my follow-up pun was only language, like text-based. And it's not as funny as demon graphics, but I said, or eye to eye with the letters. It is exactly as funny as demon graphics. I mean, at least that sounds like demographic. It's I, I give demo, I give a demon graphics more more credit than just using the other spelling of the word I. But yeah, you know, if if Bethel K 
can't appreciate that. There's just nothing left for us. There's no common ground between us. Yeah, that's, well, you, you always have hated her slightly more than me. And perhaps now we know why. Yeah, I mean, it's just further proof. Yes. <laughs> uh, so June wants to intervene with this demon-blooded festival, or at least look into it to see, make sure this demon-blooded person is actually, you know, guilty of something awful. And Amaryllis is like, look, we can't go around fixing every injustice we pass by. And Raven says Uther would have. And Pallida says Uther was insane. And then June says he wasn't insane. He believed that there was a narrative and he was probably right, uh, which is true. I, I kind of loved all of this because like, this is another thing that just made me love Uther more again. Like if he would have seen something like this, he would be like, nah, fuck this. There's, there's no way there's this every single year. Someone deserves to be executed. That is also demon blooded. You're, you're killing innocent people. And he would have put a stop to it, which is awesome. And I love him. But like also... If a real person were to do that, they they can't. You can't intervene. I mean, you want to, but like I knew one person who actually wanted to live like life like this, and he was actual legit insane, like certified, and had to spend time involuntarily committed in an institution. Like it 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 would be awesome to live life that way, but you just you can't unless you're you know sucked into a a portal fantasy like this and given uber powers and then you can and it's awesome and that is why fiction is fun right yeah and since june's life has become fiction he could and so could uther like you know i used the example um i can't remember it was tied into quirrell basically calling us out for you know not giving actually giving a shit about the things we pretend to care about mm-hmm. um in methods of rationality when i was doing we want more and i brought up the fact that there were, you know, children in cages at the border mm-hmm. of the United States and Mexico. And like, if I actually cared and I had any real strength, in my convictions, I'd be out there solving that problem. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like if I dedicated the rest of, you know, I felt like it wouldn't be impossible for, for me and maybe some ded- dedicated friends to find a, a way to get them out. Right. Um, but because we're just regular people, it would probably involve like just shooting bad guys, right? Yeah. And those are, quote, bad guys who have, you know, children and just earning a paycheck and, you know, it's it's never a good situation. Yeah. Um, but if I was like fucking Superman, um, I would – it wouldn't even be a question, right? Mm-hmm. So June and Arthur are essentially Superman. Yeah. You know, a little more destructible, um, but they're – they're in similar circumstances. Do you think like, I mean, this kind of, this points out how crazy our heroic stories and heroic narratives are. Do you think maybe they're unhealthy to have these sorts of models as our models? Or is this like the best thing? Cause you always want the most awesome paragon of virtue to be, to be your hero. I'm not sure. I've tossed that around a bit over the last few years. Um, you know, I grew up watching Spider-Man and, mm-hmm. You know, what's fun about him is that he's not Superman. You know, he, he is permeable to bullets and, um, you know, ha- is actually in danger. Yeah. And so much more relatable for the average muggle like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much a, a sense of heroic responsibility has actually done me good in my life, but I don't think I would. I'd have to give that more thought if I'd want to trade that out. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to trade it for, you know, the extreme opposite. Uh, it's out of my hands, you know, because oftentimes things aren't able to say that, right? I mean, I also worry that it drives people to extremes. Like as as they talk later in the uh, about the Second Empire, they had such a grand heroic narrative and view of themselves that drove them to do awful things. I think a lot of the stuff that we see people doing, even in the current world, is 
is based on the same sort of thing where they're like, I, I have to write this injustice and and horrible things result. On the plus side, I think that the people like in actual power wielding, you know, an, enough clout to actually generate enormous consequences like world leaders probably aren't operating with like a Spider-Man sense of responsibility. No, no, I but, don't think they are at all. But like keyboard warriors probably are. And they're out there ruining lives every day, right? I mean, not just that. Do you think maybe the – I don't know if things are any more prevalent now than in the past or if now it's just you know a reporting thing. But if there is an upswick, ups, uptick in like the wackaloon extremists that go on shooting rampages or car driving rampages or whatever, like is it possible that's due to the increased popularity of Superman heroic type idealism? Like, I'm not Superman, but this is what I can do. Yeah, I don't know. I would like to just say immediately no, because, like, no hero in the right mind would do it that way. Mm -hmm. And it'd be nice just to say you guys are obviously doing it wrong. But like you said, they're not Superman, so they're going to work with what they've got. They, they, you know, if they tried to punch 30 people to death, they would never make it, but their car would. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, It, you know, please hero responsibly. Yes. Okay, let's let's move away from that to less dark things. <laughs> um, fair enough. I think that you, I liked what you pulled out next about, um, you know, Raven. I like that she's trying to point out that, like, look, he wasn't just doing it for the points. He was trying to do good. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I agree. Yeah. And Palada, like, really seems to have not liked Uther at all, despite being pledging a life to him, I think. Didn't she? She did. Yeah. She says, uh, and then went to go find him after she died. Yeah. She says like, maybe him just going for the points would be the best interpretation of him because then there was actually a point to what he was doing instead of the, she says the universe rewarding him for what was sometimes objectively terrible decision-making. Uh, if he was just actually playing a game that might make me like the man. And wow, I guess, I guess she really grew to hate him. I I suppose trying to impose your personal morality on the whole world is going to, Rub a lot of people the wrong way, including Palida. Makes me wonder how why how her morality was so wrong that she got this mad about it. <laughs> you're you're assuming that Uther had the perfect correct morality in all circumstances. Like he could have fucked up some things too. I think he was probably mostly right most of the time. You know, in the history lecture that we get that we're privy to a little bit when June's at uh explicitly not college, mm-hmm. um they talk about, oh, you know, he brought Oh, no, wait, it was somebody else. Uh, maybe it was Raven that mentioned that his ideas were obviously from the future or like a more advanced society, mm-hmm. you know, democracy, equality for people. You know, he would go into a town and say, no, you can't just start sacrificing people that you don't like because of their parents once a year. Yeah. Um, and what Palada has like got a problem with that. I don't, you know, I don't know if she has a problem. Probably, probably not that specific example. Yeah. But he's the kind of guy who went around stomping that shit out. So, I mean, you also say that he has the right morality and that is in, probably in large part because like he has our morality, right? Uh, I'm I'm sure people <laughs> yes. in other parts we, of the world ha- would we disagree. Have the, we have the we have the most le- we have the least wrong morality, <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, you know, it, if I knew the right thing with a capital R, I, that would be my my morality, right? But I I am confident that we are more right than our ancestors. I'm not I'm not as confident in that, but I think we're we're. I wouldn't change what we're doing because I, I think that we are uh, we're doing what we can and we're making adjustments, but we might be wrong, I guess. 
I mean, we should we should keep the option open for that. You know, we are wrong as a society on some things. I suspect mm-hmm. that we'll look back in a century and be just aghast at what we were doing to animals at such a large scale. But like, you know, I think that even I don't think it's impossible that some slaves themselves probably thought slavery was a good thing. Yeah, they just didn't like the fact that they wound up on the short stick of it. Yeah, right. And so, you know, that, but I think that everyone who thought that slavery was okay was wrong. Yeah. You know, so it's, uh, you know, I I don't have the best grounds. Like the the grounds to defend moral realism is essentially just rests on the axiom that like suffering is bad. Yeah, and suffering is the thing that you know people say, "Ow, I don't like that." Right. Um, and you know, if people get too caught up in like, well, what do you mean suffering or what do you mean bad? Then it's like, well, we're just talking a different thing. I, you know. And no, I mean, I agree with you. It's just that I. I am always reminded of my late teen, early twenties, where I was a a in, in, not in practice, but in theory at least, a violent socialist. Where uh, I, I thought that the the current order should be overthrown with force, and and my reason was exactly the same thing because suffering is bad and we we shouldn't tolerate it. And now I'm like, oh wow, that would have been absolutely terrible. We would have gotten much more suffering, and I'm glad that didn't happen. But you know, I I think. If you would have asked 19, 20 year old me if uh, if we should, if he had the correct morality and we should um, impose these things that I believed in, I would have said yes. So that is why now I'm much more hesitant to be like, you know, I think I got this right, but eh, I've been wrong before. Yeah, let me, you know, that that's a, a good way maybe to, to shine a point on it. Like, I'm not so confident in my moral convictions that I'm going to go run around killing people. Yeah. Um, but Uther you know, so did. It, Right. Well, he's Superman. You know, he had he had more responsibility than I do. I, uh, I guess. Like, if you had Uther's powers, would that make it better to go around killing people to impose your morality? Maybe. You know, I do think that's like in Metropolitan Man. I do think Superman was doing something wrong hmm. by not uh, imposing some form of morality. I think that Lois's point about you know a century ago they were delivering slaves at this harbor. You know, would you have just helped with that? Like, I think that was a completely knockdown argument. Yeah. I mean, on the slavery front, I kind of agree. But honestly, I think I think the Metropolitan Man Superman was probably the best Superman we could hope for. And that's what I mean. That's probably. one of the reasons I love that work so much is because, like, when you really go through thinking about it from Superman's point of view and keeping in mind that, like, you might be wrong about your morality. I think what he did was the the most right thing. You weren't wrong. This is going to be a philosophy heavy episode. <laughs> Uh, no, I think you, you make a compelling point. I mean, it's it's playing it safe. Yeah. You know, I I don't know if that's always the answer, but in general, I think that luckily I'm not since I'm not called upon to kill people uh, to you know defend what is right and and just. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't come up for me. It's just more like, how do I spend my charity dollars? Dude, I'm going <laughs> to so... give you so much whiplash later this episode when I do a 180. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> Raymer is tasked with writing down the rules uh, of the game that they played. And he first uh, asks June, why the fuck June can't write down the rules? And June's like, I had a lot of memory loss. I don't remember any of them. And Raymer's like, so I could just write down whatever I wanted and you would have no way of knowing. <laughs> and I, I actually lulled in real life at that. That was fantastic. And the perfect Raymer response. This fucking guy. Mm-hmm. I love it. And he's like, look, I can verify some of it. You know, if, I, if you write down bullshit, I'm going to be really pissed. Mm. Um, 
this is um, after we got to, I guess, mention real quick because I pull out the, a longer quote about it later about Bethel when I mentioned that she was torturing simulated little versions of his friends. Mm-hmm. Um, it was right after June said that, like, look, we'll talk to Uther at some point and we'll learn, like, why he actually did what he did. And of course, Bethel takes that the most hostile to her way possible and assumes that, like, oh, yeah, I'm sure there's some version that makes everything he did perfectly okay. Mm-hmm. And it's like, first of all, not what I said, but fine. And then she says, speak like that inside me again, and I'll kill you all. Oh, and then she, yeah, yeah, dramatic. Yeah, started torturing the mini versions. I, yeah. And that was when, like, this was just a few paragraphs later. I was like, oh, I got to <laughs> untake back my Bethel opinion already. She is the worst. Yeah, it's not cool, man. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, yeah, like I said, I only pulled it out because I was going to forget do it later. But um, the, I guess, well, I don't know how to how long or how to analyze this because I could spend more time on it than they do in the book so far about just how insane it is that we've got Arthur Raymer here Mm -hmm. who looks and sounds just like the guy from earth. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's, and he was friends with June, apparently the guy that, you know, June meat suit jacked was also named June. Mm -hmm. And like, it's the, the contrivance to make all of this happen. And even like things like, um, uh, Raymer says, oh, sure, like your brain's got, you know, holes like Swiss cheese. <laughs> and he's like, Swiss? And he's like, oh, you don't remember any of our jokes either? <laughs> and like, so not only does, you know, he get, he get to say, oh, yeah, we played D&D together or whatever. But he's like, oh, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I remember all of our lingo, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just it's pure madness. Yeah. Uh, it, it's amazing. I don't know what to say about all of that um it, it seems like uh i mean you can just say it's the coolest thing ever i mean it, it sure is yeah. but i don't know um how else to, to I'm, I'm trying to think of why yeah you know not not why is it the coolest thing ever that's pretty clear but more like why is this what's happening here on arab and you know this june fucked up just like other june um right for the same reason and it's you know is is it this is a pretty heavy handed way to teach him a lesson like about, Hey, look, you should have done things differently. Here's the consequences or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's not a bad way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just surprising. It It is. Yeah. But, I mean, the story just never stops being pulling things out of left field and, and just surprising you with them. Like you said, it's great. I think it was at this point, And when he mentions like the 10 skills or whatever, um, that I was like, okay, yeah, maybe there's a manual. Maybe they're totally going to get it because I, I cannot anticipate how this stuff works. Mm. <laughs> this, this story is, is constantly catching me by surprise. And again, heavy handed, you know, if it was poorly written, because that sounds like a negative thing and it's, I don't mean it to be, it's, it is throwing June's face in it. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's not, that's not bad storytelling. It's, it's remarkable storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. It's making him confront all the stuff that he'd been running away from for the past 140 chapters. Yeah. I mean, so maybe he'll befriend these people and make things up to them. Mm-hmm. Maybe he won't. Maybe things go terribly. Either way, he'll probably learn a lesson about something. Um, and you know, it's, it's interesting. It's not true that he's been running away for 140 chapters. He ran away from it for like the first 100. And over the last 40, he's started to become like facing it and trying to be better. And And now like this is a test of whether he's actually been becoming better, right? Yeah. The next step it's interesting. In- you know, if they'd come here before Fen died and he decided to kind of like, you know, reorient his life uh, or, you know, renew his commitment to being a better person, rather, 
Um, would Raymer have not shown up at that point? Was this supposed to wait until after that moment? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Hmm. It's not clear how much freedom June really has. Yeah. That's a damn good observation. Uh, I don't know, man. We'll see how it all shakes out. Um, so afterwards he leaves and everyone else had been listening in from the other room. Uh, and it didn't occur to me until this was brought up in the text, but, uh, Raven heard, heard, uh, heard Raymer say that June fucked Maddie and she's kind of giving him side eye right here. And she's like, Oh, I I meant to tell you about the Maddie thing. And she says, did you? And I kind of think June was not going to tell her. What's he got to tell her about that? Like he saw her naked. No, that. Like, I don't know that the the person she's based on is someone that he had an intimate relationship with that went poorly and was kind of weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the relationship was weird or the person. He did tell her how weird the person was, I think. I mean, like the relationship had some it wasn't a good relationship, you know, he no. didn't do right by her. And it was the whole thing was kind of messed up. And I think. That would that has some impact on Raven because of a how June would look at her, and b because like this is the person she was modeled after. Like, but the, but she wasn't modeled after Maddie. I, she, she 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 was modeled after one of Maddie's characters. Yeah, but Maddie's, and like it sounds like that's not a distinction worth any difference. But I think it is. I'm, I'm, I mean, I think you're right that it's worth some difference, but I don't know how much. I mean, the whole thing's weird. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, I don't quite know how to make everything like, you know, to square it. So it's all good. But um, I guess, you know, it maybe some narrative implication or whatever. Um, but um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's a thing that I would have wanted to know if I was Raven. I guess, you know, I would I would learn. Like, I wouldn't be. Ups- Maybe it's because I already live. I already live in a world where somebody looks just like me. Oh, that's and a good so point. I, I don't feel like I need any particular information or, or privileged access about like, oh, well, what do you mean? You, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, in a possibly somewhat serious way. Anyone who's seen my brother naked has in effect basically seen me naked, yeah, but, but like, it's, it's that's not, really none of my business. It's not that they have the same body. It's that she is like based off of Maddie as a template and is inserted into this world specifically because of Maddie, both in terms of, um, of Arthur and Uther's story and June's story. Yeah. Like it has, yeah, it, it has greater meta- metaphysical implications than, than just like, Oh, we have the same body. So you've seen me naked. Like who cares about that? Yeah. And you're right. Like whether or not she's based on Maddie or Maddie's character, Maddie's character is an invention of Maddie. So, you know, I guess I can see that, you know, whether or not June had sex with her. I, I don't know. I, I feel where, where they're coming from, I, I guess a, a bit. Hmm. Um, it sort of reminds me, I mean, it's not, it's the fact that he hit it. That would bother me. It almost reminds me of, um, Planescape torment was a old computer role playing game and you have tattoos written all over you and you have meet a floating skull and like he reads you the tattoo that you have written on your back, which is a message from your past self to your current self who has amnesia. <laughs> and much later in the game, you find all the tattoos that are written on you, like inscribed on walls in a place that your old self was staying for a while. And you read the one that's on your back and it's word for word what the laughing skull read, the floating skull read to you, except at the very end, it says, don't trust the floating skull. He's a liar. And you turn to the floating skull and you're like, that's interesting. Why didn't you read me that last line? <laughs> and the floating skull is like, well, I mean, come on. I'm gonna, what? 
And and it, it felt like that same sort of thing where June is withholding that information that would, you know, it would be information that you would have wanted to know. It's also confusing in that case because that's like, you know, I'm telling you a lie right now, right? Is that statement a lie? Like, because if, 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 the, if the text was verbatim correct, other than the thing about don't trust the skull, mm-hmm. like the skull didn't lie to him. <laughs> that's true. But it did leave that, out information he would have wanted to know. That's true. Yeah, it's very confusing. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's being looped in on everything. Either, you know, it as long as he's going full disclosure, tell everybody everything. That makes sense. Yeah. Or not everybody, but the people that he's committed to telling the truth to. And I mean, uh, I can kind of understand not dropping it on her right away as soon as he met her, but... At this point, she probably should have been briefed on that. He didn't drop it on us for like a hundred chapters, so. Well, yeah, but we're not her. No, but I'm just saying, like, you know, <laughs> it. I, I get why he's like, oh, look, you're obviously one of Maddie's characters. Let me tell you about this, you know, weird girl that I banged on Earth. You know, glued <laughs> stuff to her face and wore cat ears and stuff. Um, like he wants to get to know her a little bit first, you know, so it's not super weird. I bring up the cat ears not because there's a particular problem with them, but because it was an example that June gave of her weirdness. Okay, and so he, you know, he he was like, you know, you're you know, you're you're a character of like this this social outcast slash complete nerd, you know, disliked by even other nerds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you wouldn't want to be told that, and if if a symptom of that was cat ears, you know, that that's just how it shook out. But yeah, um, yeah, okay, all right, yeah. so. When I finally came around to the fact that they might get a manual, um, Raymer is like, uh, after the Swiss cheese joke, he's like, okay, 10 attributes, three physical, three mental, three social, and luck. And he says, does that ring a bell? And I'll be like, well, I'll be heckin' darned. It sure does. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the I couldn't help but notice, he says, for woodworking, you know, the, the, the perks or the virtues were all about being able to be a better woodworker or carpenter or whatever. And the capstone of virtue was that you can make anything out of wood anything mm. and i'm like he had woodworking as a skill <laughs> he should have kept it he could have made an uther pendrag and a portal to earth once he chopped down enough trees that's right <laughs> although anything I, right. that, shit, that shit got excluded real fast <laughs> probably yeah dude i i mean just like make a woodworking just a small wooden ball but be like yeah i'm, I'm woodworking a black hole right now right <laughs> bad times Bad times for everybody. Okay, so um, um, yeah, they drop a big bag of money on Raymer, about a quarter million dollars, I believe, to write everything down. <laughs> and Raymer tries to use the magic to summon a naked lady and a bunch of gold. And he gets the bunch of gold, but then June is like, don't push the house. The house is a mean genie and will fuck with you if you give it the slightest chance, which was awesome. Yeah, you can't keep that. But she, I, I'm surprised she didn't like actually drop it on his knee. You know, from like four feet in the air. Yeah. I guess she wanted to be able to write the stuff down, but it does land near his feet. She could have broken a toe, like on purpose. She and I think it wouldn't have been a bad way to prove the point. Be like, yeah, ask ask for another brick of gold, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe that was Ropey's influence. He nudged the bar just a two inches to the left. You know, I think you're right. That might be a good way to think about it. It is a very subtle influence, but I think it's there. Yeah. Um, and of course, Amaryllis wants to go to June's body's homeland and get the rule book. And June doesn't want to go. Mm. Um, there was a great bit of comedic relief here. <laughs> he says, you know, look, the whole idea that there are almost but not quite copies of everyone I cared about is 
well, existentially terrifying, obviously, but I'm not going to have them to be used as a tool against me, and I don't care about them any more than I care about some randos off the street. There was an awkward silence after I'd said that. I, th- I think that was a lie, said Valencia. Of course it was a lie, said Crack. I assumed it was a lie, and I barely even know him, said Pallida. <laughs> Valencia frowned. Well, I didn't want anyone to think I was using... And he's, okay, all right. I was like, fine, I care a bit. That was fantastic. <laughs> it was awesome. And this has to be how everyone feels when he, you know, gives them the um, the full disclosure truth, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you think your life's weird? Oh, you, you, poor, you poor thing. <laughs> Drop all this crap on you. Yeah. Oh. But I, I just loved that. It was a great little character beat. It was good. Um, oh, yeah. June quickly describes the internet to, or or um, basically the internet to, um, not Maddie, Raven. And uh, he compares it to the Republic of Letters, which we find out now through Alexander Wales is was a real thing in the 17th and 18th centuries here on Earth. Uh, and he ends it with, you know, yeah, it was supposed to be basically like the inner where everyone has high minded discussions and shares ideas. In practice, there were some bitter feuds and rivalries. So just like the Internet. And I was just so disappointed that we can't do anything social without fucking turning it into Twitter. Like, <laughs> goddamn humans. We, we suck at all this. So bleh, poop on us. Womp. Yeah. I mean, I think this is actually how things shook out. And it, it, I think it's kind of a fun idea. Um you know, people were, you know, there's no fast way to keep in touch. So you, you just, you get with pen pals of people who share your niche of interest. And of course you're going to bicker about stuff because it's, it's fun. It doesn't have to be as, as completely like the worst as Twitter, but I bet I, you I there being were, fun. I bet you there were friendships and relationships utterly destroyed. Probably. Yeah. But that's going to happen if people are talking in a room too, but maybe a little less. I think it happens much less. I feel like at, at the very least with the uh, Republic of Letters, there probably wasn't like the dogpiling bullshit you get on Twitter because things aren't public. So at the very least, you're just hating on like your actual friends. Like if you read like some of the correspondences between like some of the founders of, of the United States, like they hate each other. So I think that they that there's some letters to them to each other from them that like are just full of all the 1700s kind of vitriolic language that would <laughs> enjoy. That would be cool to read like choice excerpts. Um, okay, so, and he gets to talking with Raven because, you know, she was there with Uther. She saw things firsthand about things, about some of the questions he had. And this, this like seriously pissed me off. Back from the Bond Girl uh, chapter, there was all this thing where there are always ladies that are coming up having romances with him and dying. And it turns out that was a bit exaggerated. It wasn't always in that, quite that bad. It was more like, you know, everyone had plot armor if they were Uther or his companions, but. They were going in extremely dangerous places that would kill you if you don't have plot armor. And his his female companions generally didn't. Uh, but it says here, like, Uther realized that and tried to push them away. And then, quoting Raven, if he rebuffed their advances, if he tried to manipulate things to push them out of the picture, it only seemed to end up worse. And then she gave us a horrific example, which I won't repeat here because it was awful. But, like, fuck the DM so much for doing that. For just, for, I'm I'm I, I'm just unbelievably pissed that he would just throw these these women and just into the meat grinder and destroy them for his narrative bullshit and make it impossible to not have that happen to them. That it would get even worse if they tried to avoid that. Like just that's that's a level of awful that I I really despise. It would get worse if Uther tried to avoid it for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, this is the guy who invented hell. Uh, you know, I. This this is barely a blip on the 
you know, badness radar. I, uh, but that said, don't worry about it. They're just mindless NPCs. Damn so. it. Damn it, Stephen. <laughs> if- no, I, I, I don't know about, I, I mm, uh, sapience aside. Um, yeah, this is, this is a mean thing to do and it's just to fuck with Arthur for some reason. But, um, it's interesting that I guess it brings to mind the question of like, I kind of get what's going on here. Why June is here on Arab, right? Mm-hmm. Why, why, why do you learn think June some, is here? something about, you know, learning a lesson about how things shook out on earth with his friends or coping with grief or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sounds reasonable. it's not, it's not the least bit clear to me why Arthur was here. Yeah. And you know, what, what lesson could he possibly have been? Who, what lesson was he trying to be taught? Or was someone trying to teach him that involved 40, 40 years of kicking him in the dick? Yeah. Um, maybe it's that, hey, narrative isn't always fun, but that's kind of a really mean way to make that point. Um, maybe. So, anyway, I, I was just happy, you know, sure, the DM sucks, but I knew he was leaving a trail of dead Bond girls in his wake for the greater good. <laughs> I just knew it. I, well, okay. I'm pretty sure I said that on the podcast when it came up before. I'm I like, I'm sure he's did. got a reason. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, maybe there was some kind of reason and you know like arthur slash uther knew it and figured it out and then once he learned the lesson he was supposed to learn that's when he left and you know that's, nobody else yeah, knows I mean, it because no one else is him yeah at some point he finished the game right yeah yeah i don't, like I don't think you're looking quit. At, i don't think you're allowed to like he definitely didn't quit using that necklace that raven talked about right yeah like sure he probably put that on and left but like that's not how he left the game the mm-hmm. the dm could still find him you know, just picture you sitting around a table with your friends and I put on the necklace of true invisibility and, you know, what, the, the guy sitting next to you at the table can't interact with your character anymore? Yeah. Like, you know, come on. Yeah. Oh, well, so so June is like, he closes his eyes to think about this for, for a moment and he has to dismiss the character sheet that pops up, which I guess we technically knew about, but this is the first time it's like mentioned that every time he closes his eyes, it pops up, whether he wants it to or not. Uh, and... It, 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 I mean, this is the first time I realized that, and I figured this gets to be really irritating, like during sex. Yeah, I wonder what counts as opening your eyes. I don't or know, like how alerting, you know, or how I don't know, cognitively arousing seeing the sheet is. Is it like looking at your phone screen? Um, like, I guess because I, I toss and turn a lot in the middle of the night, and mm. occasionally I'll, I'll my eyes will flicker open, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, if that counts and then suddenly I have to wait three seconds and see the screen and then go drag the cursor over to the X and delete it. Cause it's really bright on my retinas. Mm. Like that would, that would hurt my sleeve. Yeah. Oh, but he's got that sleep spell. He'll be fine. Yeah. But I mean, but it doesn't I, help with the sex thing. You're right. Right. At first I was thinking, well, <laughs> what's the big deal? You usually don't close your eyes during the day except for when you're going to sleep and then you just dismiss it that one time. But yeah, then there's sex and that would suck. Yeah. That would be, uh, distracting for sure. Very annoying boob of DM. Yep. <laughs> uh, so while he has his eyes closed he's thinking like if there was a narrative why did it have to be this narrative like specifically with his friends and his family and all that and it just got me to thinking that like i used to think like the why basically stuff all the time too and i've kind of given up on that and i was wondering maybe that's like what people call maturing is just giving up on asking why or, or internalizing that there is no why. And I don't think that's necessarily a good thing in the, so much as it's an inevitable thing. But I don't know. What do you think about the giving up on the why question? I mean, you know, per the story, 
there probably is an actual why from June's point of view. Yes, for him. So it's not, it's not is. like right. You know, I I saw like this fun little clip with Richard Feynman, and it was something like, you know, why did Grandma slip on the ice? Mm. And he's like, well, I can give you an account of you know what makes ice slippery. Mm. I can give you an account of what makes old people unstable. Mm. But like, if you keep asking why, I eventually run out of actual answers. You know, there is no reason it happened. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that, and we want that might reason. be a, a we want reasons, and I think that's part of. I mean, you know, it's funny because I I'm somewhere between like extremely staunchly anti-theistic and also super sympathetic to religion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ten years after my like awesome heyday of having a great time in the new atheist days, um, I I totally get it. That that answer, you know, the reason is why religion is so attractive. Yeah. Um, you know, why, why is it that, you know, somebody I like gets hurt, but this evil person just won the lottery, you know, um, you know, the person who ran them over with their car, you know, gets off scot-free and buys a lottery ticket on the way home and wins $10 million. Like what the fuck? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, religion gives an answer. Well, it doesn't explain why that would happen, but it at least says that person will get their comeuppance. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I can appreciate where people are coming from when they, when they desire that sort of closure but i think that i think giving up on asking that actually is a sign of maturity whatever maturity means but i think it's actually not a bad way to think about stuff let me let me make sure i've made myself clear i think tossing out the kind of philosophical why is like why did this happen mm-hmm. um i think that's actually probably the smart thing to do because you're never going to get a good answer yeah and so you can focus on like the uh physical whys and do stuff about that right you know, if you had a bad answer for why did grandma slip on the ice? Um, well, you know, because she had an impure thought in her when she was in her teens and God punished her 50 years later, right? Yeah. Um, like, you're not going to be uh, inclined to put down ice melt. Someone else falls. Right. You're going to think that the only people who, who fall are going to be the people who deserve it. Um, if you concern yourself to, like, real answers, you can take measures against it. Yeah. I do think, I don't know, I think life was more intense and more interesting when the why was a big thing, but also a lot more painful and like you say, less less actually effective at, at doing things and addressing actual problems. When you're railing against a why that doesn't exist, you're going after the wrong thing. And I think even for like emotionally, you know, serious things, you know, why did she break up with me or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's an answer to that. But if you're looking for a cosmic why, you're not going to find the right answer. And and you know, assuming it, it was a good reason, yeah. um, you want to actually keep your eye on the ball and focus on what the good reason was. And even if there, you know, actually is a good reason, there's lots of times you're just not going to know it. She's not going to tell you why and ain't nothing you can do about that. Yeah, totally. And you've just got to learn to live with that. Yeah. So learning to live with things, uh, we get to Bethel where she says, I didn't always want to kill people. I was forced to. Uh, and then she says, even the ones that I killed of my own volition, I didn't always want to. And this, this kind of got me thinking that like, she was forced to do a lot of really awful things that if we were forced to do them would probably fuck us up real bad. And maybe like learning to revel in it was her way of, of coping with being forced to do it. And we all hate her now and it's turned her into a monster, but I, I feel some sympathy for her now because like, she didn't want to be this way. She was, she was made broken by others. And, you know, at the end of the day, she was made broken by the God of the universe. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, 
I can hate her and think that she's, you know, a danger that needs to be put down while also just saying this is a bummer. You know, I do feel bad for her. Yeah. Exactly. Like, you know, the Voldemort analogy keeps working perfectly. Yeah. Um, you know, he was broken too, but the only safe thing for humanity was to put him down. Yeah. Like, but, and it's a tragedy, you know, but I agree. Sometimes you, you just do have to put him down because there's no, no safe way to let him continue to exist. And it's, you know, you can't even offer Voldemort a Gandhi pill. Um, cause I'll say, fuck that. I like killing people. And mm-hmm. same thing with Bethel. I mean, she took one Gandhi pill and it didn't work, but if you offered her more, she probably would say, no, she likes being who she is. Well, maybe once we get far enough into the transhuman future, we can help fix people to not be evil like that and still retain who they are basically. Totally. I hope so too. You know, it's a, it's a scary tightrope to walk because you know, we don't want to be fixing people who aren't all that broken or something. Right. Right. If they're just a little deviant, but that's that's the future's problem. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to be fixed to, I don't know, like sports or whatever it is to yeah, take the most we, facile example. No, that, that's a, that's a really good example though. It's like, Oh, they, they're, they're not a fan of particularly the Broncos. We've got to put them in the, in the correction chamber, mm-hmm. you know, fix his brain. So he likes watching the Broncos. Yeah. Um, Send him to the re-education camp. So he votes for one of the two parties that he's allowed to vote for. That's right. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. Oh, we, we, we do move on to the, um, uh, the example that she gives, but I didn't always want to kill people, which is true. She was forced to, and you know, I don't know. It's, I don't have a good idea of her timeline, like how long she was forced to do it until then she was doing it by herself for several hundred years. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, uh, you know, at some point, it's hard because, you know, on the one hand, I don't like blaming people and saying people are bad people. You know, you're just somebody with, you know, unfortunate, with an unfortunate brain. Yeah. Yeah. And that's leading to an unfortunate mind. But to the extent of using that kind of, uh, that kind of language, she's a bad person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's one thing to be, have been forced to kill people, but to have really, really liked it and then did it when he didn't have to, that's, that's a whole other game entirely. You know, if you get drafted and said, you know, shoot those people or I'll kill you which is basically how she was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one thing. If then you go home and start kidnapping your neighbor's kids to torture them, you know, in your basement, then suddenly it's, it's much less sympathetic. And that's what Bethel did for centuries. No, but, but she didn't kidnap the neighbor's kids. The, the adults broke into her. Okay. Yeah. That is a important qualifier, but it doesn't really stop my point. If, if, uh, if you, torture if you enjoy torturing anyone unfortunate enough to cross your threshold yeah yeah um you know it so yeah she didn't exactly you know leave the door open and entice people in or run around you know uh pennywise style trying to coax them into her house right but she she could have scared them out yeah it was right? definitely immoral and far a deep overreaction to do what she did to them yeah i mean stand my ground aside she she definitely didn't take every chance she could have to to retreat from the from the lethal use of lethal force i mean just as a personal real life example i have two younger brothers and when they were in their i think early teens one of my brothers was 12 the other one was like 14 15 uh there was an abandoned house in our neighborhood which belonged to an old lady who like had dementia and so she was off in a nursing home and the house you know was just left there locked up but no one was in it and they would break in i guess once or twice a week for several months and just kind of hang out there 
and I mean, they didn't like smoke or drink because they they were you know decent suburban kids, quote unquote. But they, and they, Jehovah's Witnesses, <laughs> I guess. But you know, they they just they hung out there. Sometimes they trashed the place a little bit, and eventually it burned down. Not through their fault, just because it'd been left alone for so long, and you know, eventually something went wrong, and no one was there to fix it. But um, it. it I certainly would be unhappy if they broke in one day to hang out and then were tortured to death. Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean that so that's the thing is the the punishment is not commensurate with the crime. Yeah. You know now that you mention it, I'm I'm slightly suspicious that they might have burnt that house down on accident. You think? I mean they hung out in it a lot. It's the exact kind of lie I would have told as a teenager. No, I didn't do it. Hmm. You know, I'll, I'll ask him, like, my youngest brother is now, I think he just turned 30. He shouldn't have any reason to lie anymore. I, I can ask him point, about yeah. it. At yeah. Yeah, you can come out and, you know, what the, I think any any possible legal ramification is even gone. You know, hey, I won't tell mom and dad. I'm just curious. Should you burn that house down? Yeah. <laughs> like, obviously, accidentally. But I don't think, yeah, maybe. I guess I'll ask him. We'll see. I played with fire a lot when I was that age. <laughs> okay. Uh, a, a lot of, like, close calls, a lot of stupid shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's a wonder none of us really got burnt. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. We're still moving through this. Uh, so she, she tortured that woman to death, right? I uh, know that woman, uh, she just cut her, th- her throat. Oh, that's right. So there but was, she did it because she said, Hey, look, what was the ultimatum she gave her? She um, said, don't scream or I'll kill you. Right. And Which, the woman screamed. And so she killed her. So, uh, it, it sounds, I, I was thinking, well, this is the kind of thing that Inya should be super behind because, you know, she followed through on her ultimatum. Yeah. See, I mean, okay. So <laughs> Bethel, like she made a bad ultimatum. Like she was, she was very, I agree. she was very immature <laughs> in her ultimatum making skills. And so I, I don't think, I, I think the problem was she made a shitty ultimatum. And if you make a really shitty ultimatum like that, maybe, maybe walk it back and don't enforce it because like Bethel herself, she seems really regretful about this. She said, uh, I felt like I had to keep my word, but it was just without any purpose. And like her voice is hollow. And like, I think she came out against dick cutting off sort of here because because she made this stupid ultimatum and then she enforced it. And I don't think she should have. But I don't think it's quite the same as the dick cutting off because I think Fen probably thought out the ultimatum a little bit more. I could be wrong. Well, and the extremes were both um, like... It was a much more reasonable ultimatum. Yeah. Like, look, don't go for the gun. Right. I'm going to maim you. Yeah. And that's a lot different than saying, you know, than scaring somebody and saying, if you react to being terrified right now, I'm going to cut your throat. Yeah. Like, how do you not react to being scared? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I agree. And I think that you made a good point just at the fact that like, yes, you, you can commit to your ultimatums and uh, it delivers the message that, you know, I'm not fucking around, which is an important message to deliver. But you've got to make sure they're calculated properly. I like that. Yeah. Um, so that works. I So this this happens, I think. Oh, yeah. So June leaves Raymer in the other room to write stuff down. And then when he's by himself in this room, Bethel pops in and talks to him. And then she's sitting there drumming her fingers on the table. Again, that contemplative, you know, kind of, you know, oh, I'm thinking I'm, you know, I'm a real boy. Um, <laughs> I, I still love this Pinocchio stuff. Um but she says, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to hurt the people that you love. I was only saying that to lash out at you. And I'm like, you know what? That's a really good talk. Um, this this is what a psychopathic murder house looks like after she consumes the soul of a wholesome and loyal companion. <laughs> and it's 
it's an important step for, and you know, I can never give anyone shit. I talked about this with Finn. I talked about this with June. You know, if you're if you're making steps to be a better person, then you get points from me, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's not fair, really, to point out that you know she's making steps, but she's still like way behind where we'd expect a human three year old to be at. But you know, Maybe she's human she's got a lot to overcome. Yeah, she does. Uh, I'm not an expert on child psychology, but um, yeah, either way, uh, she she's her moral compass is less well calibrated than, than children's, but yeah, that's not, that's not, it it went through a lot of, uh, discombobulating in her early years. So Mm -hmm. she's having to invent morality from scratch, basically as a sapient adult. She was abused far more than most human children. So, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I, you know, I guess I'm not sure how much of what happened to her was like the, the bad stuff. Um, I'll have to read that, that chapter again. I will read the story again once we finish it. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe not immediately, but it definitely lends itself to a, another read. It does. As as me going through this as a sec, for, for a second time, I'm like, oh, there's that's an interesting thing I picked up on, and I can't mention it, but you know, it, it's neat, awesome. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, some of the entads she wanted at some point, like it tipped a scale, mm-hmm. and so like she wasn't just like straight up tortured, but it was just like, oh yeah, things kept going south, and yeah, it was bad, but it's unfortunate, and that's that's the whole thing about where I'm at with her. You know, I can't blame her for being a bad person. It's just like, Oh, you're, you're too scary and too powerful. We've got to, we've got to lock you in this cage or kill you Yeah, because we can't fix you right now. Yeah. Um, all right. So June goes back to the other room and Raymer very helpfully hands him his, you know, stack of paper and in big capital letters in the front, it just says suck a dick. <laughs> Raymer smiles at him. Good old Raymer. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. But underneath that, apparently wrote some stuff down. So, I just, it would be just amazing to imagine him. He probably had like half an hour in there. Mm-hmm. And he, he like writes that like in big elaborate bold, you know, with a pen on the front and then just kicks back and eats snacks for the next 30 minutes. Well, I mean, uh, Bethel checked in a few times and said, yep, he's still writing. Like maybe if he did it all with giant illuminated letters, you know, fancy curly cues and everything coming off of them. Just there was spent like, an hour writing those three words. Exactly. There was like a SpongeBob episode where I think he's trying to, probably pass a boating exam or something but he writes he's trying to like write his essay and it shows you know like the the montage of him like writing fervently over the paper mm-hmm. and he's just written the word the in like this amazing you know deep font that looks like it'd be embossed on the cover of like a million dollar bible mm-hmm. um, yeah, but that's, that's all text. he's written yeah so that, that's what Raymer was working on here exactly uh, one of the things that we do learn from him is that critical hits are level dependent uh which is pretty cool it I hadn't occurred to me, but we haven't seen critical hits in quite a while, and that explains that. Yeah, luck plays more of a role when you're at lower levels. I guess because later you get good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and we also learned that you were right about the uh, the layman. Yes. essentially. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that it's not it's the yeah the not kind of one off. Yeah, um, rather than which is nice, you know. It, it's nice to have it concrete because you you can't have it um, just be like whatever again the jury's definition of reasonableness. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So Framer, this, this is where I think it gets driven home again that like, okay, yeah, June of Arab, you fucked up real good and you owe Tom and Tiff a letter. I don't know what he did to Tom. Uh, I'm actually really curious about that, but I, was it, I can't remember if that was covered in any of the flashbacks. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I'll have to, think about it maybe someone remind me but um 
I, anyway, it's funny because, I mean, A, I don't know what he did to Tom. He might not know what he did to Tom. Mm-hmm. And I'm only assuming that, you know, he owes Tiff an apology for the exact same thing. But, like, it's not a leap to assume that some key factors might be different. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what, he's going to write a letter and just miss the mark. Like, <laughs> I'm really sorry for X, but in fact, it was Y. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it would be like, I, you gigantic asshole. Yeah, I don't know how long you can keep this up. And you can't even like really, because Raymer wouldn't, you know, I don't think he'd capitulate. He's like, what did I do? You yeah. know? Well, you did this and here's why and here's why you should feel bad. Well, um, maybe he'll I th- run I into think them. he'd be like, fuck you, you shitbag. Maybe he'll run into them directly and can, you know, personally apologize. But, you know, hey, I'm really sorry. And that's that's it. <laughs> yes, I, I, I can't be any more specific than that. I'm sorry about that, too. Classified. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, at the end, you know, Raymer says that he burned everything that he had of June's because he hated him. He says, you're a garbage dump of a person. Like, like People just, they really hated June. It's, it's, I didn't realize just how, how much everyone hated him. I mean, I kind of did, but man, they, they're still holding grudges and all that. And must have been really bad. They hated him so much. It followed him to Arab. Yeah. Uh, so, uh. Yeah, we're on to uh, chapter 145, Freshman. Freshman! Um, I'm writing another prediction here, even though I haven't written one in months. So I put the DM can read June's mind, and June's mom will show up at some point. Cool. I don't, right. I'm not very confident in that one, but it seems appropriate because, like I said, she's off you know, packing gunpowder into a Chekhov gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one opens up, apparently... Most of the the council went to Fumblebuck to go try and get the book, and they came back empty-handed. Yes, everyone everyone's there except for June's mom. Um, I, it's worth pointing out briefly that so June's calling this place Fumblebuck for hilarious reasons because it's a play on Bumblefuck. Mm-hmm. But it, it's getting harder and harder to maintain at this point that that's just like a joke stand-in name for his hometown. Okay, that like that's what he actually thinks his hometown was named was Bumblefuck. Well, if he and, doesn't want to reveal what he what his hometown actually is to the reader, then whatever you know, quick letter swaps that he did in the actual in his head, he would translate it to Fumblebuck for the reader, right? Yeah, that makes that makes sense. I guess it's just not clear why he'd want to hide what part of Kansas he's from. But you're right; like maybe he comes back as like a celebrity or something, and you know doesn't want everyone to come knocking on his door. But then he just wouldn't live in Kansas anymore. I don't know. Um, right. Part of it just but, might be that Alexander Wales didn't have to want to look up every single town in Kansas to make sure that he wasn't dropping an actual real town name into his book. That's true. I mean, Smallville's kind of on the nose. Um, yeah, and I don't know. I just remember that Wes was saying like from the beginning that, no, this is obviously like Kansas isn't real or his memory of it isn't real or something. I mean, and, I, I always... I, I still think that just, you know, swapping in the name Bumblefuck for whatever the town actually was for some measure of, of privacy or 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 just not Author wanting prudence. to. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, too. Um, it just it came back to mind again. So, yeah. um, all right. Uh, that's that's where we lead in here. Yeah. And he he's thinking about how, you know, they got the the quest, uh, sort of a quest uh, breadcrumb for Follater from, um, oh, who was it? Well, it was one of the murder Heschnell. hobos. Oh, was it Heschnell? 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, and he was like, yeah, we already did that quest. And now he's <laughs> <laughs> he's learning that uh, a number of his uh, friends from Earth are scattered around in places that he might go, like uh, the Athenaeums or the host, uh, to possibly lead him, you know, back to his hometown for that quest. He's thinking about, like, you know, this, this is a common common DM tactic to have several different threads that all tie back to whatever the main event planned is. And he said that in a sense, it's comforting because it's some evidence that he has a degree of free will uh, because the world, you know, had to have these various things to pull him in rather than him just being pushed exactly to where he needed to be. Uh, but also he thinks it's still kind of scary that, um, that the, the world can be manipulated to that degree. But uh, I think I, I agree with him that, you know, the world may be malleable where he's putting in all these different threads to to bring him to the quest he wants him to do, but at least he isn't directly changing and forcing June to like make him go do the thing exactly like a puppet. Like he's he's he has to have these breadcrumbs out there for June to find and follow, which is I think a bit reassuring. Yeah, I mean, given his circumstance, this is about the best he could hope for. Mm. Um, it's it's fun because like this still sounds like a nightmare. But I, I wonder if he's just like kind of politely deluding himself just for the sake of his own sanity, mm. um, which I, I maintain wouldn't necessarily be a bad move in in his circumstances because this is so insane. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, like, I, I don't know, you know, the DM does seem like he's willing to fuck with him a bit. You know, he threw damsel after damsel in his face until he finally talks to the important princess, right? In wow. the tutorial section of the game. Okay, yes, but I think you get like special special dispensation during the tutorial to be much more heavy-handed uh, and to to get people forced onto the the right frame of mind and then you back off and let things flow naturally. Maybe. I mean, how many suicidal dwarves was he going to meet that had, you know, killed their entire town except for no it happened to be that one, right? I guess that wasn't June's free oh. will that he impacted. It was more like Grax to have him show up at that tavern at that moment, right? Yeah. Um and it made perfect sense for Greg to be there. He was trying to get gold. There's a gold mage here. Gold mages have gold. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it. I guess what I'm saying is that just knowing that the world is architected and that the story is written, um, you know, even if there's if there's some mad living involved, it would still be a terrifying state of affairs. Mm-hmm. But I would take I would try and take solace the same way that he is. Be like, you know, I still get to decide whether I have chocolate or vanilla, you know, ice cream tonight. So <laughs> yeah, that's something. <laughs> yeah, that's something. He he does uh, uh, he does wonder what does everything at Sound and Silence pointed towards and what are the disparate disparate threads all pulling on and I don't think we have enough info to guess about that yet but uh, I think it's something we should keep in mind as we're reading like what what are these threads all leading us to Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I don't remember the context where that thro- where that quote comes in, but he's thinking about again like that meta level stuff mm-hmm. and I, I yeah we probably don't have enough information. Because I certainly don't, because I don't know where things are going. Um, it, you know, this could all be kind of like geared towards pulling him back to whatever air of Kansas mm-hmm. um, to face his his stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, at this point, he can still just say no. I'm going to do my other stuff instead. Um, I don't know. It it might not be that straightforward either. But it might be. You know, again, it might just be super heavy handed. The DM saying no, we're going to face this, right? Yeah. Um, you know, okay, fine. I'll capture Amaryllis and throw her in, you know, someone's basement back in Fumblebuck. Now I got to go there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, Amaryllis said that that was, she She gets to t- say, I told you so, if that happened when she tried to go there by without him, right? Mm-hmm. 
I'm, I'm with you. We'll keep our eyes open. This all feels very uh, kind of Hogwartsy, except there's more murder. But like, you know, oh yeah, well, hey, there's this this faction over here. They want this, and uh, Hogwarts isn't the best analogy for it, but it feels like a dungeon for some reason. Whoa, you think that's a coincidence? Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> the uh, the fact that there were people that were so dedicated to fighting the Second Empire that they would rather kill themselves and go to hell than let themselves be, you know, captured and turned against their friends is just hardcore as all hell. Bunch of badasses. Yeah, that was my thought at first. And then I was like, well, actually, then I thought about it because I remembered that the hells were a thing. Hmm. And I was like, you know, a few decades of soul fuck servitude doesn't sound so bad, actually. But uh, it's not just soul fuck servitude. It's turning in all your friends and possibly destroying the entire thing you've worked your life for and seen friends die for because you know you know the secrets you know where the ammunition is hidden or whatever and you would destroy this thing you've been working for yeah yeah i guess i'm glad that my my stakes are small yeah no no one stands to gain a lot by by soul attacking me so right there, at least there's that maybe this is out of, actually out of order gonna say it anyway cool. um he was thinking that he's a lot more likely than pretty much anyone else to run into the sort of situation where he had to choose between his own personal concerns and those of the wider world. And he'd already committed himself to the wider world for sufficiently large quantities of wider world. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to give him a high five for pre-committing. Yeah. You know, you, you don't like put off that kind of decision. This yeah. way, when it comes up, he's not sitting there having to, to weigh it, you know? Right. Should I pull the trigger or not? Oh, no. And then it's too late. Yeah. Sorry. So here, here's the other thing. He... he I can't remember how it came up, but he parenthetically asks, can I talk for a moment about how fucking dumb it was that Arab has tides? Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, man, absolutely. Arab's bullshit flat earthers are making all planetary science completely incomprehensible. I, I loved that aside, too. It was so much fun to read. And he tirades on it for a good long while and then ends with that quote that you pulled out, too. Yeah, he ends with the tides went in and the tides went out and no one could explain it. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic for anyone who was around uh, back when uh, it was, the new atheism was still a thing. And Bill O'Reilly had a show on Fox at the time, like an actual news show. And he interviewed, uh, it wasn't one of the four horsemen, but it was someone high up in the... Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson he had on to talk about the tides. Was it Neil deGrasse Tyson? Or no, wait. I know that Colbert had Tyson on to talk about the tides. Oh, oh, okay. Like, and when you say he had a real news show, I think he had a news show like John Stewart had a news show. No, 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 no. Bill O'Reilly is a serious, like, that's the thing. Stephen Colbert was satire of Bill O'Reilly. He based his entire character on Bill O'Reilly, except, you know, as a joke. But Bill O'Reilly, like, did it seriously. He was like um, Rush Limbaugh or um, fucking Alex Jones, if Alex Jones actually believed his own shit and took it seriously. I thought he was like a right-wing Jon Stewart. No. I I can see how you would think that because his shit was fucking stupid. But no, he was absolutely a real serious guy who thought that he was, you know, like any other news show. Well, I think that Jon Stewart probably thought he was a serious guy, semi-serious guy. He thought he was delivering real news, but he was doing it in a funny way. And to be clear, I never saw the O'Reilly factor. What I saw was like the many crossover episodes that they had, especially like in 2007 during the writer's strike. Mm Mm-hmm. I like mean, you I'm should... assuming their 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 sets shared the same floor or the same building because they would just like hang out in each other's sets during the writers' strike. You're, you're and, like, talking punch about each other John Stewart clothes. and Stephen Colbert and Bill O'Reilly. No, not Bill O'Reilly, dude. I'm pretty sure, absolutely that, not. Bill O'Reilly. that he did some crossover with. Uh, I, I mean, with I John's... know I know that he was interviewed at least once on Colbert because Colbert directly called it out. Uh, but no, Bill O'Reilly, like 
pull up any old Bill O'Reilly show and watch it. Like he was, it was not a comedy show. It was a real news show. And Bill O'Reilly was just kind of a um, buffoon. Uh, well, that's Gans. I'm disappointed to learn that. I was hoping that they had their own version of, of funny satirists, but I guess not. I mean, they, they do are, now. They're, the Babylon Bee is really damn good. They're uh, living, breathing pose laws. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that, that's exactly it. The, he was talking with a guy from some atheism uh, organization, and uh, when he brought up something about, like, you know, God, there's no evidence for God, Bill O'Reilly goes, oh, yeah? What about the tides? Tides come in, tides go out. You can't explain that. <laughs> the guy looks at him like, are you fucking kidding me? Because... <laughs> Because it's not a joke. <laughs> of all of the heavy mysteries of the universe. I know. That is that is not where I would stake my belief in the creator. <laughs> well, especially since we do know exactly what causes the tides. Yeah, there, there's that. <laughs> it's like sun rises in the east, sets in the west. You can't explain that. <laughs> yeah, man. Why isn't it the other way around? Right. Because we, we labeled them that way. No, no, there's more to it. Obviously, it Jesus doesn't want you to masturbate. East and always yeah. in the West. And it never changes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was good shit. Yeah. All right, so he's going to classes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to skip ahead to uh, the class that's awesome because it has Quirinus fucking Quirrell teaching the class. Oh, yeah. Uh, so he's he's got... Uh, I just really quick, I think the first class, it doesn't actually matter, but yeah, battle magic with this guy. I liked it too. Sorry. Yes. I, I think they called combat magic on air, but it's battle magic. And yeah, he, he, he says that the, the third or the three best tools, um, <laughs> the last of the three best tools for, uh, when you get into a fight is the right mindset, the ability and will to act with extreme violence at a moment's notice. Which, I mean, that's that's the killing mindset, and I'm just getting huge Quirinus Quirrell vibes from him, and I really like him already. Yeah, he's he's solid. Um, I like the, uh, I'm trying to find the, the other two. One was a handgun. Oh, and a void pistol, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I frankly, I think that every adult self-defense course should start the same way. Like, he's like, okay, this is a self-defense class. He goes to his desk, and he puts a gun on his desk. He's like, this is a gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a solution to most of your self-defense problems. Yeah. And frankly, that's exactly how they should all start. Yeah. Um, you know, void pistol for the problems that your your pistol won't solve, and then after that, magic. Mm-hmm. Um, then he has everyone who's like, "Hey, all right, so this is this is a class on how to kill people. Who still wants to be here?" And like seven of the forty of them raise their hands. We don't get told of whether Raymer did or not, um, but his super annoying classmate Lissy does. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, thought it was surprising that he's just like told the class yep i've killed people and i'm here because i have to kill more people yeah um i don't know why he was that straightforward about it but shrug yeah I, I, yeah i mean it's not like he's revealing he's a god or something it's just like some people have killed people i guess and they, this is arab it happens more it's often not as in big arab. of a crime there yeah yeah i mean uh, it's probably not you know it's frowned upon but you know a lot of people have killed people on arabs so yeah he does ask all of them that that raise their hands, like, you know, why do you want to be here? And Lissy says, uh, the, the annoying um, classmate, I'm predisposed towards violence and lacking in empathy. I will make a better combat mage than anyone else. I mean, that's kind of shocking to hear her just say it bluntly like that. But uh, I think good on her for knowing that about herself and being honest about it and pursuing a career where those are assets rather than liabilities. Like, good, good, good on all accounts. Good for you, Lissy. Do what you love. You'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> right. She, she wants to. She wants to kill people because she's good at it. Well, you know she's gonna 
she's going to train that that skill. You know, if you know you're a violent psychopath, go join the military. That's exactly what it's for, I think. <laughs> yeah, she's she's a human Bethel, it seems like. Yeah. And well, just as nosy. She's actually a perfect stand-in for a human Bethel. <laughs> Except without unlimited cosmic powers. Well, yeah, she, she's a squishy beat version of, of Bethel. Yeah. She's like, wait, no secrets. I want to know stuff. And it's mm-hmm. like, like, he keeps using the word classified, you know, when she's asking stuff, which... You know, it's just like on what on what uh, level of clearance I might have clearance, and it's like, how about on the level of fuck you? It's my business, right? Like, <laughs> it's it's amazing uh, the the level of entitlement that she has. You know, you talked about how you you had a disposition to not like Amaryllis because she was a noble, mm-hmm. and like this is the kind of noble that you should hate. Well, and- <laughs> I think Amaryllis is like this too, and just is better at reining it in and not being so abrasive about it. Really. Yeah. I damn, you kind of make a good point. But I guess the fact that she does rein it in and that she's less abrasive makes a big difference for me. It's okay. the difference between, you know, Draco Malfoy and um a less cunning Slytherin, you know, uh whatever Derek yeah. Peregrine Derek, was that the guy? That was the guy. Yep. Yeah. You know, Malfoy's more sympathizable. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oberlin calls him in and he's like, yeah, I know you were sent here by Finch. I worked, I was his boss in Uniquities. Uh, so whatever you're doing, it's cool with me, but I just, you know, he wanted to get the measure of him. And he does say that, uh, when he sees him switching out his, uh, his normal clothes for the badass full kit gear, uh, with the van brace, he says, wow, you're better equipped than Finch suggested you would be. And, uh, June replies, Finch isn't the only one hiding things. Take that as a take that reveal as a token gesture of goodwill. And I I mean the first part, Finch isn't the only one hiding things. That was a good line. But then take that reveal as a token gesture of goodwill, I found that like really clunky and kind of off-putting and not something that someone who'd recently put points into Soch would have done. Like maybe <laughs> he rolled a critical failure just then or something. But like I think he would have done much better to just give him like a small knowing smile or a wink or something. Like, he, Oberlin can figure that, you know, yeah, if he says Finch isn't the only one hiding things right after he revealed something like that, then that reveal was intentional, and the intention for it was probably some sort of goodwill gesture or something. Like, saying it explicitly like that was just really a flub, in my opinion, on June's part. It sounds like exactly the kind of thing Harry would have said, methods of rationality. Yes. But he he was, you know, well, Harry has socially ept, adept. <laughs> Harry has Eliezer's social skill, which is to say zero. So, well, and he he's got some version of an unrefined Voldemort social skills. So, yeah, um, yeah, that was uh, it, it. Sounded very natural coming from Harry, and I, I it didn't occur to me until he pointed it out. I'm like, oh yeah, that is kind of you know, th- yeah, this Harryism. Oberlin guy's clear. Yeah, it is a Harryism, and this this guy is just here trying to shove a quest down his throat, and um, you know, he's he doesn't need to be. I guess that explicit about stuff, but he was, and it, it came off weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oberlin has this conspiracy theory that there are soul mages out there manipulating things, you know, hiding from the third empire and that the third empire itself has tame soul mages that it uses to rip through captured prisoners that, you know, just in black ops sites or something they don't tell anyone about. And I don't know, like, it seems like a conspiracy theory to me. I wouldn't believe it if that was some random Shmo on Arab that was told this, but you know, this is this is June, and this is the DM. Like, maybe this is around just to make for cool stuff to happen later in the campaign. 
I mean, narratively, it makes a lot of sense. So that ups it. That ups the the probability a lot. But I think it's super reasonable for Oberlin to believe this. I guess on two fronts. One, he was you know in the iniquities. He might have known this department. You know. Oh um, shit! But the other thing is that uh, you know, I'm trying to think of some other excluded magics that are coming to mind that would be particularly useful for like interrogation. Mm. But like, let's say that soul magic was actually excluded. You know, you can bet that the government would have a branch in that exclusion zone just to bring prisoners to to interrogate. I don't think if Oberlin literally knew about that um, branch of the government, I don't think he would have said anything about it. Like, I think the fact that he says it specifically to to, to June is an indication that he suspects it but doesn't know. You make a good point. He wouldn't want June to run around asking a bunch of stupid questions and then be like, well, this guy told me. Um that said, Oberlin didn't quite tell him. He just said, "What? Well, you'd be an idiot not to think that they're not using every tool they have. That's um, true. But that is a little too explicit if he is keeping you know, government secrets. So, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I like your comment that they're putting 5G in everyone's bloodstream. Yep. And that's what the soulmates are up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. So he leaves and then uh, Raymer and um, Lissy are there. Lissy is short for some long flower um, because – Pendrag. Oh, we didn't mention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a Pendrag. Uh, I guess it was implied, and you're supposed to have read the book. Yeah. Um, so this is where it's like, how about the authority of fuck off and mind my business? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then later, you know, Raymer says something along the lines of like, oh, could it be with that girl that you were with earlier? And Lissy, what girl? He's like, uh, classified? <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I liked it. I, I it just blew my mind how entitled she was to this information. It's like I don't even know you. Mm-hmm. You know what, why on earth do you think you're allowed to just get answers out of me? Because she's a noble. Yeah, it was mind blowing the the entitlement. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm six standard deviations above average. It's like get good scrub. I'm twenty. <laughs> right. I'm I mean, off first the off, that, that would put her at like what three in a million or something. I um, think more than that. Uh, for six standard deviations. Yeah, it's some stupidly high number. So yeah. given that there are a few billion people and that she's from, you know, a royal bloodline, that's not necessarily impossible, but I'm calling bullshit. Mm-hmm. And also you're flexing to the one person that's not going to be impressed if that's even true. Right. Uh, okay, yeah, let's have a race to see who learns vibration magic faster. Right. I'm literally the next Uther. Step off. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we are at the ethics class now. Oh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that was really cool. Uh, She's talking about the two types of people, uh, she being the ethics professor, that made the two types of people that made up the Second Empire. Uh, One of them was the uh, optimist who thought the whole world could be made, you know, in the awesome transhumanism wonderfulness. Uh, And the second group was a group of abject pessimists who thought that it was only a matter of time before entire civilization or life itself would be wiped from the face of the universe. I, I think that those two ideal, like those two points of view aren't necessarily in conflict. You know, we can be focused on making the world a better place to protect us from the annihilation of future that will come for us if we're not prepared. All right. We are in, we're in ethics class and we're reading a lecture about trolls. Yes. And I was, I was stoked for a minute because I thought it was, all right, so trolls were perceived as a problem by both groups. They were a tall, brutishly strong species with low impulse control, fast breeding, and fast regeneration. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, is this a perfect metaphor for internet trolls? (laughs) 
And then, then the instructor goes on to say, the trolls are barely intelligent enough to form rudimentary kingdoms, even though social and cultural technology imported from elsewhere. And those kingdoms were, on the whole, violent towards their neighbors and nearly incapable of engaging in trade. And I'm like, this is a perfect analogy so far. <laughs> I, that is a very strange analogy, in my opinion. Really? I feel like it's perfect. This is like uh, that, that Slate Star Code. I mean, I'm not going to. Yeah, you know what? I was going to say I'm not going to put myself on the same, you know, level of patting on the back as Scott Alexander, but I'll, I'll go ahead and try. Mm-hmm. Like he had that that long essay about, um, you know, why why do whales not get cancer? And you know, it's because they're big. And he it it it's a strange analogy about uh, society and self um, self destruction, right? Mm-hmm. Of small groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like this is at least as coherent. Um, those same sorts of groups. These two things apply equally well to them. You know, to, to to bands of internet trolls, you know, they reproduce fast. They and by by reproduce, it means that they grow fast. Um, you know, they heal fast. Uh, you know, whatever you knock down one website, they go to another one. Mm-hmm. You lock down one subreddit, they'll migrate. Um, brutishly strong. Now, the barely intelligent about rudimentary kingdoms—that's an analogy for like th- there's a lot of infighting. They don't work well with each other. Um, they don't work well with other bands of trolls. Like this is perfect. <laughs> well, okay then. I I think it's a good one. We'll right. let we'll let the audience decide. Okay, I took them as an analogy for you know orcs and trolls from standard fantasy books as just the the race like uh, from Lord of the Rings. They're just the the race that is there to destroy things and be mercilessly mowed down without having to feel bad about it because all they do is destroy shit. Right. That may well be the case, but mm-hmm. the main piece of evidence against that is that this is the second empire that's dealing with them. Mm-hmm. And if they were just orcs, Uther would have killed them all. Ah, you know, there's a lot of things Uther didn't quite get around to doing. Just That's true. He only he had 40 busy. years. Yeah. I think, I think, so I, I'm going to be coming out as pro Second Empire right here for, <laughs> for a moment. And uh, this is where I think I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be giving you the whiplash with the 180 turn I'm taking here. But uh, she says, um, Basically, that the the trolls were giving incentives to be sterilized, and they have very little impulse control and began to comply in mass. Populations began to drop dramatically, and uh, eventually they they com- they ceased to exist. They became extinct. Uh, and I was like, first of all, like, oh, phew. When she said xenocide, I thought they were going to go in there and exterminate them, like the the Nazis exterminated the Jews. You know, they just murdering them outright. But no, it was it was instead a a gentle sort of, you know, you can keep living out your life. You just, here's some voluntary sterilization and they took it. And I mean, I think, I think what they did was good. It was good for the world. It, th- there was no downsides to it. There was just this violent hordes that were killing people and destroying things and being a drain on Arab and they have no rede- redeeming qualities and uh, getting rid of them was in this nonviolent way was the best possible thing that could be done with them. And the second empire did nothing wrong in regards to trolls. I mean, I, I think it's because we don't have enough context on exactly what trolls were and what kind of society they had. They had any. almost no society. They were dumb brutes that liked to beat things up. Yeah. I mean, cause on the one hand you said it's, it wasn't bad for anybody. Like it certainly wasn't good for the trolls, but you know, I, mean, I don't, I don't want to say that like we have to make things good for the orcs. Right. And um, also, it wasn't bad for the trolls that did exist. They got to live out the rest of their lives. There just weren't any new trolls made. Heck, they even got y- something out of the deal. Yeah, they got they got paid, I guess. I mean, it's like uh, if they had, um, on the one hand, it's, it's, it's a negative kind of approach because it led to the slippery slope that 
or it, you know, it was the first step on the slippery slope that led to driving trains full of people through annihilation wards. You know, you start small and, oh yeah, we killed one group of people and that went great. Let's do this again. And then, yeah, well, you know, doing it with, with the incentives way took too long. And these people are a little too smart to be tricked that way. So, um, uh, I guess that's a slippery slope argument and those are always bullshit. You can slip anything into anywhere. But this, this, they actually did go down the slippery slope. Well, I mean, yeah, sure, they did, but that's because they're Nazis. And I, I don't know if I really disagree with you. It's just fun to try and argue with you on every chance I get. But, um, <laughs> like, it doesn't seem like not Nazis would try and exterminate a group of people who were, like, just annoying on the edge of the kingdom, you know? Well, like, you say just annoying, but you might say otherwise if a troll wandered into your neighborhood and, you know, ate your cat or killed your lover or broke your spine or something. Like, it doesn't sure. happen very often, and it's not a huge drain on society, but uh, the people who get murdered by trolls are going to be pretty upset. Well, I guess they won't be upset, but their families will be upset. So you arm the people who live on the borders and, you know, deal with it that way. I guess and they I just, just that, have to like, deal with trolls. Okay, so here's here's the thing. I, I, they're, I, this, this isn't just confined to trolls. The trolls are really easy because they're dumb and violent and have no good features, but like, I feel the same way about certain types of men who just make the world worse, period. Like, when we go out, Charlie never, ever leaves her drink unattended. She she always has it in line of sight, and I don't blame her. And women just in general tend to have to always look out for their safety and be worried because they could be violently assaulted by a man. And it's rare. There's very few men who do that. But... There's enough that it is always a worry, and those few rare men make things horrible for, not horrible, but make things so much worse for all women, and also for all men who aren't violent rapists as a result. Like, we all have to deal with the fact that women can't just be relaxed and have fun, and they always have to be on guard because of those guys, too. And I I really, I don't know, maybe execution is too far? I can see how it could be, like socially unadvantageous to execute men in their 20s that are still economically productive but at the very least like remove their testicles or something like i these are people that are just a net drain on society and shouldn't be around and i think trolls make an extra easy case for that where it's like th there's only negative costs associated with them continuing to exist i mean we got one perspective on trolls you know it the analogy actually i think works really well i mean Maybe trolls, for the most part, were you know stupid and brutish or whatever, but they mostly kept it themselves. And you got a few mean ones who wandered into the town next door and started eating people, you know, once every few weeks. Mm. Like the the solution isn't to you know kill all men because one in one thousand will poison the drink, you know. Um, Why not just all rapists? Well, because you can't tell which ones are. Eh, like, but you can so, tell who the trolls are. But I, I guess I, I, I don't know if every troll. In, in the analogy that I'm trying to torture here uh, is I don't know if they're all bad, right? Oh, okay. You're saying um, there, there could be like some peaceful, nice trolls. I mean, it could be overwhelmingly peaceful, but you get 1% that like causing violence and go next door to do it. And that's all that we see, you know, cause you know, we're the, we're the muggles without television. We just see the ones that are coming over the wall. We don't know that for every one that breaks over and starts, you know, rampaging through our crops, uh, there's a, there's a thousand that are just going about their lives. I mean, that um, that could be, but even this ethics instructor who seemed to be so like painting them in the best light possible said like, yeah, they're basically useless. Then all they do is fight and 
their fights spill over into human lands. Yeah, I I see what you're saying. I mean, uh, I I guess I I have this this yuck reaction about getting stupid people to agree to get fucked. Um, well, like I, mean, so I don't think do that's I. okay. No, that's that's terrible. But but that's 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 how they took care of the trolls. They offered them fifty you know fifty bucks or whatever to get uh, uh, sterilized. I I think they did the right thing. Well, but that, that that's what I'm saying is I, I have a I have a yuck reaction against that. Now, granted, that's not a good moral argument, but it's hard for me to just like immediately be on board with it. Yeah. Um, now that you know, I, I've I've spoken with economists and libertarians who will call me a sap and an idiot for feeling that way. You know, why do why why does the government get to step in and tell me that I can't offer a homeless person fifty dollars for their kidney? I don't know. I guess that's where I get stuck on. I don't quite know how to solve that, but I get this kind of, you know, if we take everything that the instructor said at face value, which honestly, she's a great source for it. She's demon blooded. So she knows what it's like to be part of a group of group of people that people are trying to kill. Um, and this is the version of events that she's giving. Um, so I suspect that it's about as charitable a case as one can give. And if that's the case, then yeah, this is like the nicest way to do it. You know, if I don't know if I got to walk into Mordor and offer every orc, you know, a nice ribeye steak mm. and all they had to do in exchange was walk over this cliff when they're done eating it. And they're like, fine to do it. It's probably the nicest thing I can do. Right. <laughs> well, especially if you don't even have to walk them over a cliff, you just give them a quick vasectomy. Yeah. That's a good point. Actually. They get to run around and have the rest of their life. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't sound half bad. And I mean, I'm speaking as someone who has a vasectomy, so it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. That's actually kind of great. <laughs> you, you got to, you got to ask for one. <laughs> right? I had to pay money for mine. I didn't even get no ribeye steak. Yeah, someone should have paid you for it. Yeah, exactly. I was going to make a, a joke, but that was just going to push us further down that slippery slope. So, um, <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, I guess just to make the joke, and it'll just, I'll, that'll be last, my last point on it. Wouldn't you have felt weird taking $1,000 from somebody who was offering $1,000 to every Polish person that they could find to accept a vasectomy? No, because I think then the Polish people who want vasectomies also get a thousand dollars, and that's great. Like I am very much pro the uh, the um, programs that uh, want that try to offer you know seriously drug addicted people uh, money in order to get sterilized because I think that is a great thing. Yeah, they get them off drugs. I mean, sure, but like by the time someone is giving up their eighth kid to to adoption because. She can't get off cocaine or whatever it is, or or some dude is knocking up his 20th baby mama because they're doing smack together. Like, just don't do that anymore. Take the thousand dollars, go live your life, have sex, do drugs, whatever, have fun, and don't keep bringing new children without parents into the world. It's hard to argue with that. Okay. Um, all right. I'll just mention that the, the troll business was actually like worth di- worth our digression on because also June also wasn't satisfied with the ex- explanation that he got in class. No. Uh, he sticks around after to go talk about well, A, to introduce himself and be like, Hello, I'm the I'm the Brassars guy who doesn't want to go to class and wants to get credit. Um mm-hmm. and then he's like, I'm also curious about the trolls. Like what 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 were they supposed to do? And it was just you know, gratifying for the teacher to have somebody who's interested in actually the right answer. Yeah. But yeah, she she opened up with a you know, obviously a clue. Yes. She says, if I were to say to you that I am a stranger traveling from the... Oh, no, wait. That is... What, what is that from? I'm so glad you asked. Okay. Uh, so, first off, you called her Homestuck Lady. What's that? 
Oh, okay. Um, Homestuck is a internet thing with a very rabid cult following. It's kind of famous for its cult following, in fact. Uh, but the the things from Homestuck that really caught on were the trolls, and the trolls have little horns, and they're entirely like grayscale. Uh, black and white. So when she was described, she just immediately stuck out to me as a Homestuck troll kind of person because she's also all grayscale with horns. Okay. I It sounds vaguely familiar, but nothing's jumping out at me. That's that if I Google Homestuck, the tries to autocomplete to Homestuck trolls. So Yes. And it was, it was referenced in Methods of Rationality too. People also ask, why is Homestuck so confusing? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I need to check this out. Um, <laughs> So yeah, she says, are you a traveler on the path made by others? Yes. And this is obviously a, a clue phrase, you know. Right. Are you, I've are never you one heard one us? in my life. Yep. Yeah. This is a secret society phrase. I'm glad I didn't like, you know, slip under June's radar. Um, mm-hmm. So I just put, if I were to say to you that I'm a stranger traveling from the East seeking that which is lost. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say I I would like to join your secret society, sir. <laughs> I don't know what you're on about, but it sounds cool. Can I join, please? <laughs> exactly. Some people I remember from, oh, I think it was actually the second mummy, not the first one. So like the very, very early, early 2000s, not the late 90s. Um, oh, those were delightful. They were. That was the guy from the whatever, you know, the good guys that wanted to stop the mummy from the first movie. Okay. And then Brendan Fraser was actually like this prophesied guy because he also had the tattoo. Um, but he asks him, he's like, if I were to say that to you, then Brendan Fraser says, like, I would say I'm a man traveling from the West. It is I who you seek. Like, Why do I know the answer to that? And oh. He's like, aha, you're the one. Um, anyway, so that's all I could think of. This is She goes around asking every interesting person that because she's waiting for the right answer. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're Death Eaters. Or they're Death Eaters. And this is how you show off your tattoo. Well, hopefully we'll find out soon. Yeah, something there's 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 like how does oh yeah actually I saved it for the end of the chapter because it's the best way to summarize this whole chapter so okay all right so after he leaves with her he runs into the student council and the student <laughs> council yeah are a bunch of asshats uh, one of them and specifically the Ranu is like you're cheating the system two years would that be so hard to be just like everyone else you're using a rule that's not for you and. God, I hate them so much. All right. So a few days ago on The Mind Killer, one of the other podcasts I'm on, I was talking about how I thought like all laws, all laws should apply equally to everybody. So like I'm sympathetic to her in principle. Um, and a young me would be totally on her side in all regards about this. But Alexander Wales here is doing just a fantastic job of making this bitch so annoying and hateable and punchable. Like, this is the most annoying person in just a few paragraphs in this entire book. And I I really, really hate her. Uh, she's much worse than Lissy, in my opinion. And, you know, June actually really does have special circumstances. He's the next Uther. He doesn't have time to fuck around. And he can learn all this in time. So, like, they should apply to him. They They maybe weren't designed specifically for the next Uther. But he is a special circumstance. And, like... It it just th- she's the kind of person she reminds me of the people who like will attack other people for wearing clothes or hairstyles or foods or eating foods that don't match their bloodlines and and just getting all up in their business like oh these clothes aren't for you and I I just really wanted June to kill her right then be like I don't have time for this shit you're threatening my ability to become a multi mage goodbye yeah. First off, I just learned that it's the mind killer, not the mind killers. Um, 
So uh, uh, today I learned. Um, yes. I've been saying it wrong this whole time. You never corrected me. <laughs> I mean, I actually, for our first three or four episodes, said it wrong, too. And um, Wes corrected me eventually. He was like, you know, you're saying it wrong. Oh, that happened on the air. I forgot about that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I I feel the same way. Fuck these HOA busybodies. Um, yeah. You know, they might have a point, but they're rude about it. And they're like delightfully uncoordinated as a group. Um, but like my, my more in-depth answer or like, I guess, uh, response is like the, the school has ADA compliant seating. Mm-hmm. Remember? Like, I mean, I guess Airbnb's with the Disabilities Act. But <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it has a special seating area for people that need it. Um, mm-hmm. making someone show their proof of need documents to anyone who asks is just rude and dumb, you know, like it, I mean, I, 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 I can kind of see if, you know, someone's abusing and there's not enough right. seats for, if there's not enough seats to go around, that's the thing is those seats are a limited resource. Well, um, I mean, and people abuse that so much with service animals to the point where like, I almost, it's horrible, but I almost think people need to start carrying around their, their service animal papers because People just lie through their noses all the time. They're like, oh, yeah, this is a service animal. You see the service animal, like, going around, sniffing another dog's butt, rubbing its crotch on the floor, and, like, obviously being not not even, not a service animal, but not even a well-trained dog, you know? Just someone's shit dog that they don't even discipline. And I'm like, really? You're a service animal? You know what you're doing is just poisoning the 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 well against people who actually do need service animals. Like, fuck you for ruining that for them. And... And so I kind of see, like, sometimes you do got to enforce those rules to keep it from being abused by others and ruining it for the people that actually need it. Yeah, I, I guess. So the, the next thing I was thinking of was, like, um, we do sort of do that with uh, parking permits for uh, uh, handicapped spots. Mm-hmm. But you, you don't you're not um, obligated. In fact, you're basically obligated to give someone the finger if they ask you, why do you deserve that spot after they see your plaque in the hanging from your mirror? Right. Yeah. If you're not yeah. visibly disabled, they don't they don't get to come up and demand an explanation. That's essentially what they're doing here. Um, that that it's that's true. why I don't like this group is that they're more, you know. Yes, he well he does have the piece of paper saying that yeah. I I get to park here. The Broussard gave it to me. And yes, he does. You know, if if it's not obvious to you, well, fuck you. That's my business. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's not impossible that if they'd come up and made the case like less of like HOA dick bags and more. Yeah. And I say this as a president of an HOA um, <laughs> and, and like, more hey, just Frank, like, do you have any problems we can help you with? We see that you, you know, we have special circumstances. Something yeah, they, they, they could have said, Hey, we're all in the same, we're in the same group. There's a club of us, you know, who are rushing through this due to our special circumstances. And, yeah. you know, he might've brushed them off. He might've done something, but wouldn't that have been a better way? Um, yeah, you know, for all we know that this, this, he could be a Renee Sim that got hit with a curse that makes him look like a human, you know, right. like, and it, he's like, yes, thank you. I get hit by bigots like you all the time because of the color of my skin. I'm not pink like you, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it, it, it never hurts to start out nice. Yeah. That, that's my takeaway lesson. Yeah. That's you're, you're awesome. This is why we love Steven. Steven always starts out nice and is cool. Uh, I try. Well, I don't know. And sometimes I, when SmackDown used to be laid down, he overthrows his HOA board. It's really, it's really easy to like be nice for my armchair when I don't actually. When I, I never go outside and interact with people, so it's really easy to like say I'd be nice all the time. <laughs> I, it's not true. I've seen you interact with people. Mm. You've right, well, left the house before. I suppose you're right. I, I do actually have shoes that I leave the house with. Um, right. All right. So he does have a good reply to them, though. 
<laughs> he says, I'm here on behalf of the Empire. Technically true. I'm investigating the recent deaths. And also, I guess, technically true, although only from a few hours ago. It's vital that I be allowed to operate as a normal student. And unfortunately, this was the only way that we were able to accomplish that. Like, holy shit, this was a great lie on his part. I agree. And it, and it seems to have floored them, too, because they immediately crumble as a, as, mm-hmm. a uni- as a uniform group. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, shit, what if he really is here for the Empire? Well, then it's more important that we get up in his business. No, it means we should stay the fuck out of his way. Uh, <laughs> the one of them who apparently was not on board this from the very beginning and is wearing a mask is like, maybe rushing across campus to confront him was a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. High five to her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, you know, well, that's 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 our condition. That's your condition. Okay, that's my mm-hmm. condition. Like th- they're just outright contradicting each other. It's just delightful. It was um, great. I- I'm and, glad that he did, did that instead of killing her. That was yeah. a much better solution. I I agree. It you know maybe it'll still come to that, but at least this bottom of a day. So um, yeah. Amaryllis shows up because of course she's there wearing full plate armor. Um, nice. And she says, how are we doing? He's like, good. One day down, four to go, about half a dozen subplots to keep track of, but no homework. (laughs) (laughs) Yay for college. I feel like that's a perfect summary of of this whole thing. It's like, yeah, okay, we got a lot of shit going on, but, you know, could be worse. Could also have homework. (laughs) (laughs) It's all going okay. Yeah. All right. It's all all going okay until we hit the terrors of the Black Age. Oh, no. So chapter 146. Uh, yeah, what's going on? Yeah, Raymer mails in the rest of the notes, um, and it's it basically confirms what we thought. Like, okay, yeah, you know, June can independently verify enough of this. This seems to be the real deal. Um, mm. So he's, you know, kind of like Amaryllis got hearing about the other Amaryllis. I think he's getting that um, Rillerin vibe. Yeah, that, that Grax, uh, that dwarvish word of um, nostalgic longing. For something that never existed. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, it was, it was really cool. Yeah. And I too, like really kind of wish that June could meet alternate world June now. And I liked, he says something about like, oh, I'm sure I sound self-obsessed or whatever. And I'm realized it's like, that's not narcissistic. You find him compelling. Like you'd have to be pretty boring not to find mirrors if you're self-compelling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that makes Which, sense. That's a very yeah. amorous thing to say. Yep. Uh, he, I forgot the context for this, but he did say that uh, if he was a total bastard like the DM is, uh, what he might do is create a binary meme, which is two memes that are safe when separated, but deadly when they're mixed together. And I was like, oh, my God, that would be amazing. And I hope Alexander Wales writes something like that at some point. Oh, because Raven wanted to meet Maddie. Oh, that's right. Which I maintain that they're different enough from each other that they don't count as like, you know, antimatter people shaking hands. Um, yeah so i can't imagine what that would even look like a, a binary meme that's dangerous when mixed how come I, I i i nothing comes to mind i try to imagine that and like what could they possibly share as ideas you know if it's magic shapes on magic books that's one thing mm-hmm. but i mean i don't know maybe it's um i guess this is like more of an analogy but like if you have the music to a song but not the words or in someone else's the words of the song, but not the music. And then you combine the two of them and it makes the song that brings about, you know, that summons forth Cthulhu or uh, or that melts your brain or that hypnotizes you or whatever. Or it's like, the that greatest be... song in the world. Yeah, but yeah. this is just a tribute. Of course. They don't remember the greatest <laughs> song in the world. 
No. Um, but, but yeah, it could be something like that. It could be something like, you know, you know, like one secret of the universe. And then when you find out this other secret of the universe that goes with it, it just breaks your brain because you can't comprehend whatever. It may be. Yeah. It could be a break your brain kind of thing, or it could be a, I like the Salmon Cthulhu or, um, Oh, look, you know, I know the recipe for house made, um, bleach and you know, the, the, the house made, um, What's other cleaning? Uh, oh, ammonia. Yeah, ammonia. And oh, we mix them, and now we've got chlorine gas, and we're all coughing up a fit, right? Yeah. Fun fact: I did that once on accident. Ooh, bad times. Very dirty bathtub. Very long night oh. of, of intense coughing. Um, yeah. It, you know, luckily I realized what was happening, and I didn't like spend the night in there. And you can't make it. At least I didn't make it that deadly immediately, but um, mm. it was a kind of fun burning cough for a couple of days. You know, of all the worthless shit that they try to teach you in school, they couldn't teach you the one thing that would actually be really helpful to know. Two very common cleaning ingredients should not be mixed or you kill yourself. Right. It's It does say it in small print on the bottles. <laughs> <laughs> Who reads that shit? Yeah, as a kid, I kind of figured I'd be set on fire a lot as an adult, given how much we practice <laughs> stop, drop, and roll. I know. Not once. Yeah, and I've never even met somebody. And I, I strongly suspect that if I were to catch on fire, I would forget that, no matter how much we practiced. Hmm. I mean, I, now I want to catch myself it. on fire to but, test it, but yeah. Well, now we're primed, uh, but we'll, Please, have, so we'll nobody... have to do is find somebody we went to school with and set them on fire and see what happens. <laughs> I do not I do not consent to being set on fire. Nobody try this experiment on me. <laughs> I like how you worry that our audience is dangerous psychopaths. Like, I gave my hostage policy. You're like, are you sure you want that public? I'm like, they're not going to. They're cool. <laughs> Our audience is cool, but who knows who could get their hands on this file? It's just floating out the, on the internet now. That's true. Mm. All right. Um, yeah, no, that, that 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 could be fun. I wonder if there's any danger of her meeting Maddie. I can't see why there should be, but yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe it would break her brain. You know, Raven's, you know, a tough cookie, but meeting the person that basically created you, um, mm-hmm. and especially if you if she gets there and she turns out to hate Maddie. Mm. like if you met your creator and they suck uh, mm-hmm. i think i think it might bum you out you know raven's already been through a lot this week right <laughs> right for a bit of narrative a bit of narrative insurance i guess uh Amaryllis does say please never declare that uther and his knight successfully dealt with a problem that will surely never rear its head again <laughs> to to raven when raven is talking about the pathists and how they will never rear the heads again and I just, I was like, I can't believe that there isn't some initiation class for the group yet that just tells all new people that stuff. That's like, please don't ever, ever say anything like this because it's just begging the DM to drop a quest on us and have Pathist show up. Do you think an initiation class like that would work? It's, it's at the very least a reasonable precaution to take. I, I just wonder if like the DM would punish that and be like, ha, you thought you could stop me. <laughs> if he's that... I mean, sure, he could do that, but I still think there should. I mean, they told the, her just now, right? They, they, the only thing that's wrong is they, their timing wasn't better. They should have done it much earlier. That's true. Yeah. No, if they, if they had told her, uh, well, now it's too late. Now we're definitely going to see these guys. Mm. And Marillus is like, okay, sure. So these, these things that are never going to be a problem, how do you fight them in case we have to fight one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you have to just make them make the wrong choice somehow. Uh, the she does what she's talking about the path is saying that the higher ones did things in response to events that hadn't happened yet or plans that hadn't been made uh or th- to things that people would only say weeks later 
If you have good enough precognition, which the pathists had, you don't need to rewrite history. You can alter the past when it's still the present, which is fucking fantastic and absolutely reminded me of that scene uh, from Methods of Rationality where Harry is, I believe he's about to put on the sorting hat. It was it was right around the sorting hat scene where he's like uh, thinking into the future and he's like 20 years from now, I'm going to be thinking back like, oh my God, if only I had done that one thing different 20 years ago, everything would have changed and I wouldn't be a dark wizard and the world wouldn't be collapsing around me. And he's like, well, you know, 20 years from the future is right now. I can just not do the thing, which I think might lead to total disaster that I have granted the wish of my future self, which granted. And it just, it totally reminded me of that scene where like, you know, you can just, just look forward a little bit and grant your future self's wish to not be in that situation. It's perfect. I like that a lot. That's a lot of fun. And my, my thought with these guys was that I'm assuming Uther learned basic pathism and just killed his way to the top. I know they said that like, that's when he said the only way to beat the guy at the top is to make him choose a path that, turns out to not be what he wanted to do but it's too late and uh, that's what uther did oh yeah oh so maybe he just killed his way from the top first like i guess i'm wondering you know if you're running around the uh, dangerous precogs and they do work on this hierarchy do you have to kill your way from the bottom up or if you just cut off the snake's head do the rest just flounder yeah i don't know but yeah he he supposedly handled this problem so we don't even have to worry about it They're yeah good. it'll yeah. never show up again yeah it's not a problem <laughs> you're right uh he digresses a bit by he i mean june about the forerunner trope and i really enjoyed that digression into world building um and about you know what makes world building cool or what makes it lazy why it's done because i think that's a level of meta that i really enjoyed from earlier in the story which we haven't seen for a, a number of chapters and i missed it so just want to call that out that was great no i'm glad you did too and i i liked it it's it's been a tonal shift over the book and I've, and I've already like realized that I'm going to enjoy rereading it for that reason, or that'll be one of the reasons, but like I think it has such a different tone earlier. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we've also talked about the forerunner trope. We basically have June's thoughts on it. Um, it's kind of lazy and it never makes any sense, but it's fine if you want cool stuff laying around. Um, mm-hmm. you know, why, why could they only make the one ring thousands of years ago? Why hasn't technology progressed to where now there's a hundred of these rings and they're, they're all crushed that one ring. Um, yeah. well, they the ancients were better than us. Why though? <laughs> like, right. because well, okay then. Uh, <laughs> so the movie can happen. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The, it wouldn't be a good story otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are five extinct species of badass forerunners, which is the mm-hmm. same number as the number of gods that there are. I also caught that, but I wasn't going to pull it out unless you caught it. High five. Yeah. I wonder, see, this is the, this is the trap. Because that probably means that that's important, but it might well not. Because like you're in this weird spot. Because I've been there, where it's like, what am I allowed to talk about? Whether mm-hmm. I pull it out or not, like an omission is like can be read as significant. Mm-hmm. But you know, I also can't just pull out like the thing I thought was cool. Because like, oh, are you telling me that's important? Yeah. So at some point, you just have to be like, oh, I can't really tell from the things that you you know you grab from the text, like what's actually important, right? Yeah. So I, I hope I'm doing that well. No, it, the, the thing is, from my seat, there's no way to tell. Cool. I won't know until the end. <laughs> like <laughs> I look back and I'm like, oh, you 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 didn't spoil a thing, or like, oh, you told me half of this shit, but of course I didn't know which half, right? Right. So yeah. there, you're you're in a pretty safe position. Cool. It feels good to be in a safe position. <laughs> um, 
Oh, so you were nice enough to catch what this, the juju bird was. Jub jub bird. Jub jub. Yes. Uh, oh, hmm. This came up. Oh, yeah, I guess this came up before the other thing about the Jabberwocky. Uh, but the Jubjub bird is from the Jabberwocky. It's just, you know, mentioned in it. Uh, in June's um, campaigns, uh, or one campaign, I don't know if it showed up more than once, uh, the Jubjub bird was this giant, like, 50 stories tall, indestructible, pick, pecks people to death. Uh, and this is the interesting part, in addition to being, you know, giantly tall, calls people to it from the corners of their attention, invades dreams, and appears in the twilight of consciousness. And I was like, oh, the Jub Jub Bird is Cthulhu. That's fucking <laughs> awesome. I didn't catch that. That's awesome. So, yeah. uh, real quick, there's a quick throwaway where, oh, the, the names of these forerunners are probably unfamiliar to you. And he's like, oh, mm. I know three of them. The Reshnik made the White Spires. And I remember that from the calendar in the Shire Reeves office way back at In Comfort. Nice. From like our first, I think it was our very first episode, maybe I, the second one. Yeah, it was really early on. He glanced at like he sees like, oh, okay, so they've got the white spires here, whatever mm-hmm. those are. But I just remembered them. Um, mm-hmm. And so I pulled this out. I put in brackets, what, you're going to skip this obviously super huge clue? Uh, <laughs> right. She she read about uh, the Judge of Bird in a book called mm-hmm. Terrors of the Black Age. And that's the name of the chapter. That's the name of the thing. Mm-hmm. And it was written four years after Uther disappeared, which we know, and she says again, is the same time Felseed showed up or mm-hmm. happened. Um, the author names and describes Felseed along with some others. It stuck out to us as being prophetic, uh, given that there were things described in the book that wouldn't appear until later. Um, but the exact nature of the foreknowledge has eluded us. Author anonymous. Oh. So I, I don't really have a good guess i mean author could be the dm the, and you know could be june could be uther i i really just like i paused and like this is obviously super important but i don't know i don't really have a lot to speculate on here yeah it's it's a mysterious occult book from the deep past that saw the future like nostradamus maybe it's yeah maybe we'll uh get like a cutaway chapter where he reads part of it Ooh. well i mean you can can oh no 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 because it didn't actually quote the Jabberwocky in it they had to pull that from the Earth backpack right and I went off and read that but I want to read the whole Terrors of the Black Age yeah okay yeah or at least want June to so we can tell us the important bits yes all right so I I'm an illiterate rube who uh, <laughs> couldn't understand like really maybe a third so I, I I went off and read Jabberwocky which luckily only took five minutes. If it was yeah, written in English, uh, if it was if it was written in words, it would have taken thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. But I did sit there and try and like grok this nonsense. So right, <laughs> all I could get is that there's some scary monster and mm-hmm. some kid kills it. Uh, yeah, I think there's multiple scary monsters, probably. But yeah, there's there's the one in particular that he kills. The uh, was it Bandersnatch? That sounds uh, right. Two and two and through and through the vorpal breadwin snicker snack. Wow, see, look at this head. literacy. Um, I, <laughs> okay, so I, 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 I am cheating in a way. I mean, first of all, it's a very famous poem. There's, you know, the Muppets did it and you can find it on YouTube. A lot of people read it. But um, the reason I know it so well is because my roommate, Drake, who has been my friend since high school, uh, at one point uh, memorized it because it is, you know, like you said, really short. Uh, and he every now and then does dramatic, um, you know, readings, not readings, because he, he's doing it from memory, but intonations. A, a, 
narrations of it. Yeah. And it's, it's really cool. And he's done it enough times around me that I have parts of it um, memorized now too, in, in his way of doing it rather than in the Muppet way. And actually uh, there was one episode of methods of rationality where I was moving. And so I couldn't produce an episode that week. And instead uh, I aired Drake doing um, the Jabberwocky. Really? I believe. I think so. Unless I don't know, maybe, maybe he, he was, he did something. Oh no, he did the server monk's prayer. Did That's I right. never did I never air him doing the Jabberwocky? Oh, if you have that recorded and it's not aired, we gotta get that shit out. I I will have to go back and check. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, Drake, the, the Drake did, uh, did Dumbledore in Beth Rationality for the Uninitiated, and his voice is amazing. So Yeah. Uh so the Jabberwocky, I mean, there's it, i mean you 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 know it you there's nothing to it it just it sounds really cool it has great meter it flows wonderfully um it's right in the middle of lewis carroll's most famous work um so i don't know is alice in wonderland or is through the looking glass more famous they're, they're about equally famous i would say alice in wonderland but i say okay. that as a rube who knew about that before the looking glass so i'm okay. assuming well, that I'm- that therefore it's more famous <laughs> i remember the line all mimsy where the borough grows from like harry's like war chance yes i mean th- here's the thing about it like it is insanely popular among nerds and i'm not exactly sure why it's it's almost like um monty python's holy grail in that regard where like every nerd has at least heard of it like there's so many things in in nerd culture that reference it like the vorpal sword is absolutely famous I mean, almost every fantasy game or system has a reference to it at some point and um i don't know it's 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 one of the things that's famous for being famous, I guess, mostly. But also, you know, it's short, it's fun, it has all these funny made-up words. It's it's just a neat little poem. I think the Vorpal Sword's also in this story, right? It is, yeah. And the Man X-O-M-E was just Man-some. mentioned... Huh? Mansum. Mansum was just mentioned, like, a few sentences earlier. And mm. one of the things in there was on Uther's shortlist... Of like, ask the dream skewer this. Yes. And I have no idea why that would make the short list. Uh, Mom wrath. That's right. Um, so yeah, shrug. But the reason I wanted to, to dwell on it was because uh, Raven reads this and she looks up at him and she's like, you know, what the hell was wrong with you? Um, mm-hmm. And like, I read the thing and I'm like, I can't infer anything about June from this. <laughs> <laughs> well, because then doesn't Raven say immediately afterwards, like, half of the worst exclusions in the world are come straight out of this poem, or at least the names for them? Yeah. But I guess then, you know, June read this and then was like, oh, okay, uh, I'm going to make these things up and put them in my story or my my games. And then they got excluded. But I guess I, I read this and I couldn't make heads or tails of what any of these things were, you know, like I know what a blade is. Okay, great. Um, yeah. But like he, I guess he ascribed meaning to these or there's some meaning. Maybe if you read the rest of the book, I don't know. No, no, yeah? there isn't any, they're just, you know, they're various things named in the poem that like, you know, were challenges for the, the youth to overcome. And so he's like, well, you know, I'm going to make this horrible thing that's destroying the world and is the worst thing I can imagine. And I'm going to name it after this whimsical poem that is from a, uh, from is it looking glass or alice in wonderland now uh through the looking glass actually through the looking glass okay so he's like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna name these awful things that are <laughs> later turn out to be the most horrible exclusions in the world i'm gonna name these things after this whimsical poem because you know that's that's what you do when you're dark and edgy as a teenager right okay that makes sense i appreciate it like if, if if you were going to write a novel about you know 
horrible serial killing raping monsters and you name them after the uh the my little pony characters that's pretty funny i hope we find uh celeste or i don't know any of the other ones that was the one that ran the world in uh yes uh, but I meant the, the ones yeah i meant the ones from from friendship is magic like you know pinkie pie and oh is celeste not in that and, well she is but she's not one of the main five she's uh the the princess that twilight sparkle reports to and sends off you know this was the moral of the story <laughs> uh, and i said main five but i meant main six she's not one of the main six. Oh, one of the you left out one of the horses well I, I wasn't counting twilight sparkle because she's you know like her own thing but you know what I, I everyone says main six so i should just say main six as well i'm so glad you said her own thing later in the chapter june says the doe is just its own thing so he started calling it an it rather than a her again Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and the skeletons are. <laughs> We're gonna have to link David Pumpkins for anyone who hasn't seen David Pumpkins yet. Well, or we can just leave it, 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 you know, a mystery. We'll link it eventually. Or yeah, yeah no, whatever works. But yeah, right. it it's uh, all I can think of whenever I hear that now. So okay, mm-hmm. so they get done being horrified at scary poetry, and um, they're gonna go. Uh, I guess Amaryllis and June are gonna hang out in the jar all night. Um, and as they're walking back to her room, uh, she gets, they, they get there. Um, uh, she wants to grab the immobility plate so that he can piggyback and ride down on her. Um, and Bethel shows up as soon as she closes the door and she's like, I can give you a peek while she changes. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, fuck this house. <laughs> With the claps and everything. Yep. Yeah. June does not like that idea and uh bethel's like oh oh look at you being so moral and upstanding and he says i i didn't decide to be sickened by that idea because i'm super moral i just am sickened it's like the opposite of a fetish and i I pulled this out specifically because i think june just described morality and he's saying like it's not morality but like that is what morality is right like the whole point of morality is to give people these sorts of involuntary feelings about certain actions and uh if he feels sickened by the idea, that just means morality is working. And uh, I think it's weird that he said that that's not morality. I love how philosophy heavy this episode turned out to be. I yeah. mean, depending on which school of moral thought you ask, uh, they will say that that's not morality at all. That morality comes up later. You know, so like he mentioned, oh, yeah, when he's fixing her soul, um, that he was like tempted to look at her mm-hmm. at her soul and he felt really bad about it like a, a good person wouldn't have been tempted and well, maybe but like it's... well i mean maybe i don't know but for me yeah. you know and i think like uh i think kant was the one you know well with um deontology but it was all about like a sense of duty and mm-hmm. uh if you wanted to do the thing anyway it doesn't you don't get points for it it's like i'm doing this even though it hurts because it's right like that that's that's where you get points um and so i mean that's like don't get wrong i don't think kant had i, I i'm not 100 percent in his camp but there's something to be said about like you know if you're, if you're casually doing the right thing because it's nice and easy that's fine but like i think that w- he overcame the temptation that makes him more moral than not being tempted in the first place huh huh all right so i mean i i want to agree with you like th- the fact that he overcame the temptation is in fact noble and it's good that he did that and i guess he should get some points but i think the reason we give points is to encourage people when they're you know tempted to overcome their temptation but ideally like if morality was completely instilled the way you know 
if it was fully doing its job, then he never even would have been tempted, right? It would have been like this feeling of like, oh, gross. No, I don't want to do that. And then that's when morality is working completely. I maybe. And so like that that's the thing is I, I don't I'm not sure if there's a solid answer here, but one other way of looking at it would just be like, um uh shoot. I had this. Um what was the last thing you I just said? Um, that's that that's when morality is working completely. Like when you don't even have oh, to yes, award people you. points because they don't want to do that, then then you have won the morality game. So yeah, I think so. And this is just I don't have a good answer for this, but like I think a way of like demonstrating this is like you know imagine it's whatever the I was going to say like the distant past, but this was like what ten years ago that mm-hmm. gay marriage is legalized in the U.S. Um, so uh, you know I think that if you're already on board and you're like no of course this is right this should have been okay uh, you know five hundred years ago why is this a thing mm-hmm. um, you're you're on the right side you're doing a good thing but. I think that if you're a person, if you're like, you know, I, I don't agree with it. I don't understand it, but I, I can't think of a reason why we should keep this, you know, right from these people. I'm going to, I think it's the right thing to do. And you, you overcome a sense of like, you know, you know, your gut's telling you that I shouldn't do this, but you, you, in your, in your heart, you think it's right. I think that that's, that that's more effort. Yes. Um, so I, I think that I want to give that person a bigger high five. But like you said, I think the goal of it is to make it so that it, they don't need high fives anymore, that they just start doing the right thing right yeah that takes yeah. less work. work yeah yeah i like that so that's i mean that's the ultimate goal but yeah people who actually do think things through i think are doing are doing the right thing and and that's great and we should definitely give them props because lots of times they're the ones that figure out what the 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 morality that we want to instill into people is yeah i also his his explanation just didn't you know i didn't decide to be sickened by it because i'm super moral um, it's like the opposite of a fetish. Oh, mm-hmm. no, you had said that that was the point of morality, uh, to give involuntary feelings about certain actions. And I yeah. just, I nitpicks and I'm like, I don't know if there's anything moral about not stepping in dog shit. We just hate the smell. Like, yeah, but the, the, right. it's, so I, I think that was more of a quibble with, you know, I try to generalize what, what wasn't meant to be generalized there. So, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Anyway, he, he manages to, uh, let Amaryllis change without, Bethel, uh, whatever, letting him look through the wall. Oh, and she mm-hmm. apparates away and just as a, as a quick aside, yeah. she, she vanishes oh. with a pop, mm-hmm. which is new. I, it, I'm guessing she read Harry Potter and she thought it was fun. <laughs> cool. Harry Potter's infecting everybody with, uh, the friendship and kindness. I really think it is. Val and Heschnell, all we know is that they're talking about Harry Potter, but mm-hmm. I like to think that Heschnell is just like full on, you know, like teenage nerd you know like oh no she should she should marry ron or harry or no she should she should be her own thing or whatever right um (laughs) but like i i want i basically tried to pick like a team edward team werewolf um setup but harry potter wasn't quite that dichotomous yeah but i'd like to think that like they went full like he's just like a full gushing schoolgirl nerd about it (laughs) i mean that that's going to introduce fractures into the party once they start uh trying to kill each other over the shipping wars once they realize yeah like no this the, they're they're on the wrong side of of this You're yeah the shipping wars. ron shipper fuck you <laughs> yeah i was trying to think of how you'd amalgamate those names but they're really none of these lend themselves to doing that very well and mm-hmm. we don't want to waste time by trying so all right no uh, and we we have revealed that we were never in the those wars because i'm sure they already have the amalgamations out there 
okay, so we get a flashback to Kansas, where we basically learned that uh, Tiff went through a super woke phase. And, you know, it's too bad, but I can assume she grew out of it. <laughs> and also that, like, maybe Tom is... I can't imagine he's actually trans because we would have heard something about it before this. Oh, did you read my comments or did you just also read into the fact that he looked guilty for a second? I didn't the first time I read the book, but this time when I was going through it, I was like, why is Tom looking guilty for a second? Yeah, I had the same thought. I'm like, okay, maybe he's guilty, not because he's trans or like feeling guilty. Maybe he only feels guilty because his particular circumstance made Raymer derail the game. But like, you know, we have we have no context on it. You know, maybe he also started the fight. Who knows? But no, I I also read that line. I was like, why why is he so guilty about this? And why would he feel guilty about being trans? The whole thing was. But we've had no indication whatsoever that Tom is trans at any point yet. So it would be it would be an extremely subtle hint right here. And I'm not sure. I I don't think that is correct reading. That works for me. Yeah, it would be not enough at, at this point anyway. Yeah. And anyways, that's that was all I got out of that flashback. Did you have anything? Yeah, I was surprised that you said that uh, it was a shame that, you know, hopefully Tiff, you know, um, what do you call it, uh, you know, grew out of it or something. Um, mm-hmm. I don't I don't think she's wrong. You know, I she's she's coming off a little hot with it. But like <laughs> it's that's high school. This is one of those debates where it's like no one's really fighting. How did they put it? Tom put it on the uh, the bingo sheet. This um, is not an argument we're having. Right. Oh, I could have been fooled. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's perfect. You know, she she's making the case that categories are made for the man or woman or person, um, not not people for the categories. And I agree. Like, they, there wasn't anything wrong with what she was saying. It's just that it ended with June saying, like, yeah, I probably won't make a magic item like that again. And I'm like, that's that's just a shame. Like, because it was just one of those, you know, hey, let's take fun out of the world because we want to be upset about something. I'm like, it's... It, cares it's a magic sword in a game and you're just showing off how woke you are to by by getting mad i since we don't know the setup like to what caused this like not argument um mm-hmm. i i don't know i don't know where to assign blame i'm frankly mm-hmm. gonna i'm prepared to just lay it at raymer's feet immediately because i'm sure he was looking for the edge cases <laughs> and you know that was the the what was the like the sword did more damage if a if a woman was wielding it or something right oh my god you know what i would bet you anything that Raymer had a male character and he was like hey you know what what if i like a wear dress and put on lipstick and start asking for she her pronouns will it work because i really want that extra damage see that that is the kind of thing i could see him doing right yeah totally yeah so <laughs> uh maybe that's part of what kicked off this this discussion but you know i think that what's fun is it's just like with the hitler thing and the 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 virtue is it virtuous right um mm-hmm. if you're to kill baby hitler it's like well actually with a time machine and D, we could like answer this right yeah because <laughs> we, we couldn't kill him with a virtuous spell um mm-hmm. and she's like well that's dumb <laughs> it's like it, it kind of is and so mm-hmm. um you know with this it's like yeah it works better in women swing and swing the sword but it's like well what does that mean it's well uh yeah now now that you mention it um i'm not exactly sure uh you know do you have to have a certain cup like to be fair it is actually a convoluted question mm-hmm. and yes there's an intuitive answer but it it also just falls apart so you, you would it work for jamie lee curtis um would it work for uh caitlin jenner like it's unclear and so okay so you're bringing up jamie lee curtis because of the complete androgenin um insensitive insensitivity thing right yeah i don't know if that's actually the case for her i think it was just like a rumor someone started 
Uh, all right, then a real person with that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Okay. I could have sworn. And, I think I checked. She has something. I looked on her Wikipedia page to make sure I wasn't making that up at one point, but now I can't remember because that was like a year ago. So, oh, um, really? Uh, well, now I've got to check. But uh, Snopes, here we go. False. Okay, thank you. I was spreading misinformation. Yeah, thank you for pointing that out. Um, oh yeah, well, yeah, all good. No, no, it's good because I I want to stop saying that now. Uh, <laughs> so, in any case, um, the other thing, the important thing that out about me at me about this flashback too is that they're having this conversation when Arthur's not in the room, mm. and they like they explicitly say like, no, let's not rehash it when he gets back. And not only are we getting fewer and fewer of these flashbacks, like they used to be kind of all the time, mm-hmm. but Arthur's barely in them anymore. Yeah. And yeah, this is the second time in a row, at least I think, yeah. Mm. And um, in the like, Amaryllis is like, look, you know, you don't want to go to Anglican or whatever. And even though it might get you to your self-professed goal of killing Felsied and reuniting with Arthur, and he says, well, reuniting isn't how I'd put it. Finding him, or at least finding out what happened to him, is also a step towards godhood. And I'm just mm. like, fuck me, man. What? What the shit? When did he f- completely fall off your radar? I don't think he's completely fallen off, but. Yeah, he just at some says, point he's it's an instrumental goal now. Yeah. Like it it it's not about reuniting, it's not about finding him. I mean, he does say finding him, but he's like no, you know, uh finding out what happened to him is also a step towards godhood. He makes it sound like it's a purely instrumental goal. Yeah. Like I don't know. I mean, you know, you've been here for a few months and you made some new friends or whatever, but like this is Arthur who is a real person who suffered this hellscape for decades and he fucking mm-hmm. died and you can talk with him again. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't get where June's at with this, and he'd better be properly excited to see Arthur, unless it's under you know some weird felsied circumstances. Uh, right? Yeah. But yeah, I'll give him a, I'll give him a good shake if he's not being cool about it. I know it's kind of yeah. Come on, June. But you know, maybe you know I'm admittedly biased. So then again, well, even if I wasn't biased, it's still just a remarkable circumstance. You know, yeah, like it would still be I'd still be desperately curious, even if it was a stranger, you know, that's that's true. But I do think he's I don't know. He's it seems like he's drifting away from Arthur a bit. And I guess I understand he's been through a lot of shit lately and he's lost another person that he loves. But yeah, it does kind of suck. That is this seems to be such a falling away. I think he's he's taking I mean, I don't know. He's taking seriously the fact that. It's been 40 years for Arthur. He's like a completely different human now. But also he seems to be like maybe taking that too much. I mean, you know, I think early on when he first learned he was here, it wasn't clear that he'd been here for four decades. And, you know, yeah. so the the gap in the, their lives wouldn't have been as obvious. And it's right. also that it was just a few months. Yeah. And it's also nice, too, that like, you know, he's not obsessed, you know, with his grief anymore. Um, yeah, that, that part's positive, but it would still be like, okay, you know, I'm, I've come to terms with it, but the thing is he doesn't have to come to terms with Arthur's death anymore. Cause he's not fucking dead. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, I mean, you know, it, now it's not even about like, you know, overcoming your grief or, or processing that trauma or whatever. It's like, yeah. you know, what if it was Raymer or whatever? I would still be desperately curious to find him just to be like, do you have any idea what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> like, and let's say, you know, Raymer didn't even die on the outside. Right. It's yeah. just like he knew that someone from Earth was here that he knew in real life. Like, yeah. I, it, even with that, I would still be would be curious. But 
Yeah. I do think it's good that he's like preparing himself that this is a different person. He's had 40 years of intense experiences, but also maybe he's giving a little bit too much credence to like the people who really hate Uther and then that, you know, that Uther may be actually this terrible, horrible person where, you know, maybe, maybe he's not too. Like, it'd be nice to hear Arthur's side. I agree. How do you feel about getting canceled? Uh, let's do it. Okay. Uh, so, uh, if they have this sword that gives like plus five damage if a woman is wielding it, and if Raymer's character, who is male, says, oh, that's a cool sword, and starts putting on makeup and dresses and asking for she, her pronouns, do you think Raymer's character should get the plus five damage? Um, no. Okay. Because it's obviously done with the wrong intentions. Does the intentions matter? Yes. Uh, I actually have a real life example of this. I mentioned it a few, a couple years ago. Oh man, a few years ago now on the Bayesian conspiracy. Um, Mm. I was uh, long story short, I was in a pot shop with some friends and apparently it was like girls day and women got like a third, 30% off or something. And I, I I wasn't buying anything because I, you know, I was just there. I was getting a ride home and I was like, what if I identified as a woman? And he was like, oh, I, I, I don't know. And he kind of, you know, the, the cashier kind of floundered and didn't really know what to say. And I, mm. I was like, it's fine. I'm not buying anyway. You know, I'm not going to push it. Um, but I, you know, it's, it's like, you know, ladies night at the bar, girls drink free, you know, like, mm. I don't like that. I don't think it's a cool thing, but I get it. Girls bring business. And so it's cheaper. It's more cost effective for your business to, you know, let girls drink for free. If it brings, brings in more paying customers, but like, yeah, um, as somebody who has to pay, it's not it's not awesome. But I'm not going to lie just to get a free drink. Not when people are actually like actually struggling with this sort of thing. And mm-hmm. that's that's why I didn't like push for a deal, even if I was buying something at this place. Like, yeah, it, it, there, there are people who are actually, you know, going through. Uh, I don't want to say transitioning or gender dysphoria or anything like that, but just the 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 large umbrella of like um, sexual misidentification by others or something, right? Mm-hmm. And like. Or gender gender misidentification, but it's like, so I, I didn't mm. want to like make light of that, and so since that's what Raymer would be doing, I don't think he gets bonus points for swinging the sword. Okay, or I mean, I I basically he, mm. he does, but he rolls a one and he cuts his he cuts like three toes off. Whereas, like, <laughs> I thought you were about to say he cuts his penis off, so it becomes self fulfilling. Oh, that'd be that'd be amazing. <laughs> but that's a. <laughs> I mean, but then that's like, you know, oh, your penis is what makes you a man, which is just absolutely, you know, that that is bad. And I honestly kind of think now I should cut that that joke out entirely. For real. Everything's safe in joke territory. You know that it's in the Bible that uh, if your genitals are destroyed, you don't get to go to heaven. I remember something like that vaguely. It's it's a it's a, it's in there. I I don't know what to say other than uh, isn't that weird? <laughs> okay. Um, I can, yeah. I can look it up, but there are at least two passages where if your genitals are destroyed, you don't get to enter the kingdom of heaven. It just Bad seems like times, weird priorities man. for the creator of the universe. I mean, he, he really, really likes cock. And if you ain't got a cock, what do you got to offer him? He all about them foreskins, yo. Damn straight. This is, Boy, this is how you know we've gone on Christian too listeners. Yep. Yeah, right. That's okay. We're ending on a hilarious note. So this is actually perfect. And the penis talk is actually super apropos. Okay. Oh, no, wait, he draws a mustache, but it might as well have been a dick. <laughs> Um. Uh, yeah. Well, couple things before we get there, or should we just no, jump no. right to the dick? No, no. Uh, do the couple things. Okay. Um. Would they're going to uh put the meme in Amaryllis's brain, and he says, "Don't worry, I'll watch over you if you're out." And he gets a loyalty increase for that. And he's thinking, "How did that change anything?" 
How is that enough to push her over the edge? Didn't she already know that I would protect her? Was it just that I said it out loud? And I've had those same kind of thoughts before. And it's it's weird how like just verbalizing things people know already is like a really big deal for humans. <laughs> but it it really is a big deal for humans. So that's, uh, I don't know. I just thought that was a, a cool true to life touch in there that I wanted to comment on. And it would remind me of the joke, which have you heard the joke before? No. About the engine. Okay, so it's a really short joke. The joke is like, uh, there's an engineer who is married to his wife for 40 years, and eventually she like, just gets fed up with him and divorces him. And he's like, Oh, my God, why? What's wrong? She's like, only once when we first got married, did you ever tell me that you love me? And he was like, Yeah, nothing's changed. like there was no status update needed you know <laughs> yeah i would let you know if that if that went away yeah that's yeah that's really funny and it's it does speak to something about people that like we like the affirmation um mm-hmm. you know i like and i also like telling my wife you know hey i love you by the way you know it's like it's um it but it is funny like why do i feel like a a need and a and a, a pleasantness at reiterating something that we both know right mm-hmm. um the other thing that might if we're going to just read because everything is a clue, um, her loyalty went up when he said something that was like vaguely romantic because she stopped messing with her soul. Mm, I'm guessing that's that the case. It. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's all right. I'll watch out for you. Oh, I'm swooning. And then loyalty. Mm-hmm. Point. Yeah. Oh. Whereas, yeah. you know, purely pragmatic amaryllis be like, well, of course you are. We're hanging out in the jar together. Like, you're not going to let me die. I'm important. Right. It, it does seem like a clue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, sounds like he's probably going to go home, face whatever the dungeon master has there planned for him. Uh, but yeah, he, he puts the virus in her head and the <laughs> meme in her head. This is such a bad idea. I mean, it worked out fine, but like, like, like he said, once, once she goes brain dead, he's like, oh shit, we should have, we should have tested this on somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> At least a monkey or something. <laughs> yeah. D class personnel. Like that's fucked. What's he talking about? Like, just grab some homeless person. Like, hey, can we try? Hold still. I want to try something. <laughs> Maybe he's thinking about like some some criminal that's going to be executed the next day. Adorus. Um, or <laughs> yeah, there's so many of them. No one's going to notice one. Right. They probably won't even yeah. notice. Mm. So she gets zonked out, which of course she does when her mind is whammied by this thing. And mm-hmm. at first, like, I like this a lot. Like her hand fell from his shoulder because she's trying to see into his soul. And then her eyes open, but they're unfocused. And he's like, oh, I guess that didn't work. And then mm-hmm. I, I put in a note there. I'm like, well, of course it did, dumbass. And like the very next sentence, there's no response. I felt a cold sweat break. And I'm like, well, see? Like, <laughs> but it, oh, I guess it didn't work. And it's like, what do you mean? She just like slumped over. Uh, but uh, he's like, oh, shit, I better go fix this. And hold up a minute. And he grabs a <laughs> pen so he can draw a mustache on her face. And... <laughs> You know, it's it's really important to take time to make things funny while someone's brain is overclocking and melting. <laughs> it's, I think if you, it is probably the most important thing. Yes. Yeah, he could have tattooed a dick on her cheek and then then got around to saving her life. <laughs> oh, that would have been great. Maybe not the tattoo part, but well, because yeah. tattoos move, right? He could just he could remove it immediately. Oh, but for he, a minute, you know she should... couldn't wash it off. <laughs> He the best prank in the world since he's a skin mage. He should just always have a tat that dick tattooed somewhere on him, and when people aren't looking, transfer it onto them, <laughs> move it onto their face or something. Oh my god! Whenever you shake hands with somebody, <laughs> now you got a dick tattoo. Oh my god! Can't what? do anything about it because they don't have tattoo removal. He needs to do this to Raymer. 
<laughs> yes. Dude, Raymer would love it eventually. It would be spot on. I mean, he, he, uh-huh. he would he'd have to take some of the money, some of the quarter mil that he just made to go pay somebody to remove it. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, he would he would laugh the whole way there. I think it's a good I think it's good humor. That would be fantastic. <laughs> but, but yeah, he draws the mustache on her. And then when she comes out of it, he, she's like, what is wrong with you? You keep like breaking out into laughter. And he eventually just tells her to get a mirror. And she looks at him and she's like, seriously? <laughs> and then she laughs too. And she says she would have loved this, you know. And and the, like just a little earlier in the chapter, they talked about Fen as well in more like, nostalgic terms rather than really sad terms and he says yeah and then i started laughing again because she still had a mustache on her face and uh, go ahead no i just i was just laughing with you and affirming that it was like heartwarming and and touching yeah it was a perfect tribute to fen and just a very touching end to that chapter i i felt so warm me too it you know i started laughing again because she still had a mustache like it wasn't you know i started laughing again because fen would have thought it was funny like mm-hmm. it was, it was just for the thing and mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's getting past it. Um, it's, uh, there was, Oh, the other, the other line, like, so I mean, she, she, as she's like coming to terms with what he did, she's like, it's, it's <laughs> like, it's, it's not even drawn on straight. And he's like, well, I want, I want, didn't want to spend time on it. Like it had to be a quick joke. Mm-hmm. And then she says, uh, you know, this means retribution, don't you? A pen drag is not to be trifled with. Mm-hmm. And I'm really eager to see what form this retribution takes. Oh, hell yeah. Well, perhaps we will find out in the next three chapters. I mean, she's a skin mage. It's right? true. She has half his skill. Yeah. And it doesn't take that much to move things around because he did that within his first 30 seconds of unlocking or 30 minutes of unlocking the skill. Oh, there's going to be dick tattoos everywhere. Yeah. They're going to sleep in the jar tonight. He's going to, she's going to knock him out and then <laughs> she's going to just cover him head to toe in dicks. <laughs> chapter 147 covered head to toe in dicks oh, you're right <laughs> all right <laughs> cool yeah that was that was fun we went on for a while yeah that was a good time though you know it was all right so next week we are doing three chapters which is totally fine because these three took forever and i enjoyed reading them and talking about them 147 yeah. good vibrations 148 sing for your supper 149 i have i have to hand it to you so i predict that's a pun I have to hand it to you. I'm sure that's a pun, probably about Greg's hand. Um, mm. Sing for your supper. Hundred percent. I've read that as another chapter title from another book. Scott, hmm. tell me if I'm right. I think that's from Wheel of Time. Oh, I, something like that. I, I feel like that's in the first book. Um, I would ask Matt, but he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't listen to this podcast because he's too busy. But he, he's the other Wheel of Time aficionado that I know. So um, anyway, Scott, let me know, or I can look it up. But all right. I'm clearly burnt out. (sighs) Where were we? Okay. Wrapping this up? Yeah. Yeah. We were telling people that uh, they should rate and review us because we enjoy that a lot. Uh, Just say say something about dicks or boobs in your review and no one will be steered wrong. Um, Or you can uh, help support us at our Patreon, which is linked, as always, in the show notes. And you can also support Alexander Wales because he wrote all this stuff that has brought us so much joy. And it would be nice to give him a little money, too. That's right. Thank you, Alexander. Remember, this is his game. We're just playing it. Heck yeah. We'll see all of you next week. Bye-bye.